1: And we are back, IB Nation. It is another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. That is Sean Davis. I am Brian Driscoll, and we have a very interesting topic today, Sean. And you and I have been going back and forth really since, I don't know, the second the the game ended on Saturday night (laughs) about doing a show together this week and just the direction that we wanted to take it. And I think the manner in which our shows have gone, your uh, your your lucky lefty show and then the IB shows, the ones we've done apart and together, we've we've discussed a lot of the stuff that we want to vent about and be ticked about and discuss that needs to be changed. And and so we're going to have a little bit of that today, but it's going to be built around the notion that what is happening now is not good or okay or acceptable, or a blessing in disguise. There's no spin on what's happening right now. However, what's the old expression? What was it? Um, I'm trying to think. It was the beginning of a Tupac song back when I was a day. Through every dark night, a bright day arises after that, right? And they are in the middle of a very dark night right now at Notre Dame. And how they come out of this, good or bad, is going to determine, I believe, in a long way, how successful Marcus Freeman can be at Notre Dame. And, and so what this has done as much as we dislike it, how we've got here, this has presented an opportunity for Marcus Freeman to truly put a stamp on the program. And that's going to be the topic of the conversation, big picture, Sean, but it has to begin with the fact that, you know, the, the biggest thing for coach Freeman is, is he has to step in and ad- and, and acknowledge and address the offensive issues the defensive issues, and the on-field product, while also recognizing that the on-field product is a result of a lot of stuff that's happening off the field. And that's what makes this such a complex, challenging issue for Marcus Freeman and
2: Notre Dame. I know one of the things we talked about was the, the difference in selling or pitching your vision to recruits and getting them to buy in versus selling your vision and pitching it to the guys that are currently on the roster and that you have to see on a day-to-day basis. Because it's one thing to say something, and then the person you're speaking to really can't challenge that and make you live up to it. The current players on the roster, when you tell them something, they're going to make you live up to that because they're going to take you at your word take your coaches at their word and then they're going to come back with that information and you have to then reinforce and prove what you've already put out there. And this is one of the challenges that's facing coach Freeman. I mean, you know, we were shocked by what we heard from Michael Mayer post game at BYU. Um, I was shocked. I'll say you had heard certain things prior to that and understood a little bit more what he was trying to say. And then when you hear some other things and you watch the outcome and you listen to Houston Griffith post-game and you come to see that there is some type of disconnect on this team, I'll, stay, I'll take it a step further. Uh, I heard something that Coach Reese said, said yesterday to the media that immediately uh, allowed caused my antenna to go up because I said it didn't line up. That's not lining up with what we're seeing and what we've heard. So that can't be the case. And in the midst of all of this being three and three, I don't know if the, if the bigger issue is the record or what's going on.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDSC.
1: First of all, Sean, what did he say? That mm-hmm. there was a lot that he said yesterday. Well, well some good, me. if he's being well, honest. Some of it's good. Some of it was like, mm, I don't I still yeah, don't think you're
2: good. I don't have a direct phrase in front of me, but basically to paraphrase, he basically Conveyed that everything with the coaching staff and the players was kumbaya. Mm -hmm. Sure. And and that for me was like, uh, nah. Yeah. Nah. And in order to answer that question, you didn't even have to go down that road. Right. So, you know, my antennas went up. It's like, no, that's not the case. You know, you're three and three. Shut out in the first half, give me the impression. I understand the leader of the program coming forth and saying, Look, we're going to solve it. We're going to be all right. All right. I wouldn't expect anything else from a head coach. I don't expect the head coach to come out and say, Man, I don't know if we're Mm going to be able to beat this UNLV team coming up this week. No, I respect that. But, you know, it was that. And then also the – once again, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but when he sat down with the media upstairs before his video press conference, uh, he intimated to them that, you know, I'll take – I'm glad everything's coming at me rather than the players. You know, I'll take that. And it's like the majority of the – everything is coming at you. Like – People might nitpick with players over a play here or a play there. But the main issue is not with the players from the fan base. The main issue at this point in time for the lack of production offensively is you. Right. So to try and convey that you're somehow a protector of the players or you're going to lay down and sacrifice yourself for them, I just felt like (coughs) – The message that's coming, what we know, no, it's not genuine. And what we're hearing with other issues and for you to go and try to make it seem like everything is kumbaya, you know, with the coaches and the play, It's not. It's not. And it's evident on the field. So instead of trying to fool us, and I'm not even saying be 100 percent transparent because you don't owe us that. Like, everything in-house needs to stay in-house. Right. Right. I'm all for that. Keep it in-house, handle it. But don't come out and try to convey one thing when it's clearly evident.
1: Yeah, and the the comment that got me was one where he talked about – he was asked about play calling, and he he said – this is his comment. He goes, uh, you have to try to just move ahead, continue to put our guys in the best position possible. This is about Mm. the players. What we do, our program, what we're about is trying to put those guys in the right spot. That's what I owe them, and that's the way we work. Uh, That's And why we work the way we work, if all the blame is going towards me, that's a good thing because it means it's not falling on our guys. We'd rather have it that way and continue to push forward and allow them to have success this Saturday. I believe that's the comment you're referring to or part of the comment you're referring to. Yeah. And again, it, it's it's what's what's the issue with Notre Dame right now is what's being said publicly is not what we're seeing on Saturday, and it's not what we're hearing, you know. Sean, you 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 know what has been happening to my phone this week. You and I have yeah. talked about some of it. Yeah. And and what we're seeing is a disconnect between the vision that Marcus Freeman has laid out for this football team and what's actually happening with this football team and that i think is a big reason that we're seeing the on-field product being the way that it is cuz again it's not just the offense right like the offense is the easy culprit cuz it's been terrible and and you know we can discuss the fact that there's a, a, a rift between the offensive coordinator and, and players or if you know which we have heard we've heard from some sources that there's a not always on the same page with the coordinator and the assistant coaches that that's going to happen when you're struggling right i mean that stuff's going to happen and and it's about addressing those things and fixing those things and all that kind of stuff but it it goes deeper than that and, and that's the thing it's not just about you know our practice plans not working our yeah. game plan wasn't good enough it's deeper than that because that's been an issue in the past and they still won games
3: mm-hmm.
1: because in the past there was a a culture within the locker room that it doesn't matter what the coaches do right. we've got this and I think that's lacking from the program right now, too, Sean, and that that is the most evident thing when you see Isaiah Foskey regress, when you see Jason Adamiola somewhat regress, when you see Brandon Joseph not playing that well, when you see Jack Kaiser, J.D. Bertrand regress, Cam Hart regress, you know, when you see certain players that were key contributors last year at times, not even seen the field this year, like Alexander Ehrensberger. You know, when you're seeing the same things happening on offense, we're seeing guys take a step back. Brayden Lindsey is just is not being used right. Jalenzo Staus mm-hmm. is taking a step back. We're seeing all these types of things, and you're like, there's something deeper going on here than just the game plan wasn't good. Yeah. And that's the thing that you have to understand is it's easy for us to say, oh, the game plan, the play calling, which were not good. And, hey, well, this play was open, that play was open. Yeah, because Stanford sucks. I'm yeah. going to say it again. Stanford sucks. Those misses should have meant you only won 35 to 14, 16 instead of losing 16, instead of winning 52 to 14. That's what those misses should have meant. And that's where the excuse making for the things we're seeing don't fly. Oh, the play calling and the gameplay was good, blah, 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 blah. No, it wasn't. Well, this guy was open. Yeah, okay. It should have happened three times as much on Saturday against that defense. But we're not seeing the players playing with the same attitude that we had before and this was under marcus freeman last year as a defensive coordinator under mm-hmm. previous offensive coordinators and position coaches and that's a big thing for me and i think one of the reasons why and this is where marcus freeman has stepped into the into the, the mix it's being an effective coach is not always just about putting a good game plan or play together or call and plays it's also about have you been able to establish trust in your meeting room yeah and when you look at the positions that are thriving right now, I think there are situations where they're with coaches that have been able to do that. Corner, offensive line. I'm trying to think of what other position group is really playing well right now. Maybe 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 tight end to a degree, but I think I'm now I'm worried about that now that you know Mitchell Evans was thrust in the lineup. And again, this isn't about Mitchell Evans. Yeah. It's about the signal that it it sends. When you're telling some players that, hey, you're not playing because you missed time and then this kid comes back and all of a sudden he just vaults right past you. It's like, okay, hold on a second. Then it was never really about me being injured. Right. And so, you know, I I, you hear the head coach talk about how, hey, if a kid wants to know what's going on, he needs to go talk to his position coach. And then I talk to person and source and source and source and source. And they're saying and I'm hearing the same thing from people. They're going to the coaches and asking and they're being told the exact same things across the board well kids talk parents talk and when that stuff starts getting relayed okay then deeper problems arise, yeah. arise where i don't trust you and i think it's especially difficult for players on defense because they had that trust with the previous defensive coordinator yeah they had who's now the head coach but he's not their defensive coordinator anymore he's not their right. go-to guy anymore they had that trust with the defensive line coach. And so you have dueling issues here. Number one is players have to get used to new coaches. That's part of this process. But then number two, the new coaches aren't living up to the standard that Marcus Freeman has said he wants from his position coaches of honesty, openness, being teachers, being developers of young people that we're not seeing that as much. And that's an issue on defense and on defense. honestly. You know, people say, well, the defense has been pretty good. Do you know why? Because they have really good players. Yeah, That's that's really the only reason the defense has been really good this year is just they have good players. Well, that's dwindling dwindling a little bit. You know, I mean, Jacob J- Lacey just ups and leaves. I, I, I don't think that happens if Mike Elson is still here. I, I don't because I think there would have been a level of trust that, hey, don't worry, keep working and you're going to get your shot. Right. You know, because there was an established trust there. Now, that's not all Al Washington's fault, but clearly something is happening with him and Al Golden that these players are not buying what they're being told. Yeah. And if I could relate to you just a tenth of the things that I've heard, and it's not just this last week. This has been stuff Sean and I have been talking off the record about for a month. That's true. That's where this stuff is coming from. So <clears throat> those things are then leading to a lack of buy-in when it comes to other things. And and you know, the coaches say things publicly about, hey, we've got to own this, this is on us, we got to coach better, but that's not the message that they're always receiving in practice and in the film room. Right. And so these guys are professionals, they know what to say to us. They're just giving us stuff to write about so we, you know, don't ask them the really tough questions and you're gonna get on and they're give they're telling us what we want to hear. Which is honestly what they should be doing. I mean, they 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 should be revealing the the inner workings of the the things that are being said in the film room. I, I'm not, that's not a criticism, right? That, at all, I, I, you know. And and but it is one of those things where it's like, but you can only put so much stock in. At the end of the day, it's about what you see on Saturday and what you hear from yeah. your trusted sources about are things yeah. changing or not. And in some instances, things have changed, and we've talked about that. And and, and but most of it, the change has not been good. So it's about what do they truly learn from these failures, and that's this is the thing where you know I don't want to be here, I don't like that we're here, but this is the opportunity that's in front of Marcus Freeman. Sean is these things are happening. This is a challenge to you. This isn't a this isn't a challenge. The, the, Al Golden, if if he doesn't want to be here anymore, he he's gonna have plenty of opportunities, right? And Tommy Reese will have opportunities, all this kind of stuff. But this is your this is your program. This is the stamp you're putting on it. And the reality is, is Marcus Freeman's done a lot. I, I wrote that article this week about Notre Dame's at a crossroads. And the thing I said was, look, a lot of the things that a head coach isn't just about winning and losing. It's also about what kind of program are you establishing or kids going to class or, you know, the the, the reach out to alums has been huge. The recruiting has been great. There's a lot of things he's thriving at as a head coach. But at the end of the day, if you bat a thousand in those areas, but don't win on the football field, you're going to be out of a job. Yeah. All right. And you've got to be able to do all of it. And go ahead,
2: Sean. What we're going to say. No, I'm just saying it won't matter right. at that point, right? And it goes back to doing the legwork and the culture that was, you know, I want, I want to be fair and make sure I use the right word here. The culture that was accepted. You know, I, I don't want to stop short of saying something that was given or forced. The culture that he accepted as the head coach of Notre Dame with the job and certain things that came with the job is not something that can now be used as a reason for why things aren't going the right way. Because regardless of how things have gotten to this point, you accept it to be the head man over all of this. You're the head man over all of this. And at the end of the day, like you just talked about, It's not going to be any other assistant's record at the end of the day. It's going to say Marcus Freeman's record at Notre Dame. It's not going to say Al Golden's record. When you
1: go to a guy's Wikipedia page, it doesn't say. When you go to Al Golden's Wikipedia page, it only gives his record as the head coach of Temple and the head coach of Miami. doesn't
2: give his record of Virginia
1: or with the Lions or with the Bengals. It gives his record as the head football coach, to your point. Yes.
2: And at some point, you can tell us about process. You can tell us about patience. You can tell us about all of that. This is Notre Dame. This is Notre Dame. This is Notre Dame football. No disrespect. It's not Cincinnati. He talked about the slow start they got off at Cincinnati. This isn't Cincinnati. It's a different beast. Right. There's a little bit more urgency within the program, from the alumni, from the students, from the fan base. So whatever answers and solutions are there that need to be found and implemented, they need to be done speedily. Right. Because the Cincinnati show. This, this can't be an off-season thing, Brian. Right. Like, It'll be this, too late then.
1: Yes. Yes. At Cincinnati, he was replacing a coach who'd been fired for going four and eight and seven and six in the two previous years. So you were going to give him a little bit of grace. The, the thing here is, is because the issues that are truly going on for Notre Dame right now are cultural things. It, 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 look, it's easy for, for, for us to talk about the things we discussed yesterday and for those things to get fixed. Yeah. Right, he can walk in there and say, Hey, look, this is the scheme we're going to run, these are the chains we're going to make. I was actually somewhat encouraged by the press conference yesterday in some regard because you saw Marcus free or Tommy Reese and Al Golden talk, make comments that make it seem like, okay, what we're talking about, they both talked about in a little different way than we've seen in the past. Al Golden even talked about maybe there's a need to simplify things, yeah, and kind of said it in a way like he was kind of responding to a conversation that had been had with the head football coach, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's kind of where it, it's, I mean, you know, <clears throat> the, the the thing that we're talking about here is that's fine, but it's not about the schematic changes. It's not about the the practice tempo changes or, or the drills that are being done, Sean. It's greater than that. And this is the opportunity because his players are watching him. Yes. These are 18 to 22 year old young men who were smart enough to get into the University of Notre Dame and, and stay academically in good standing at the University of Notre Dame, which means they are smart and thoughtful young people. They are not just kids that are just going to blindly follow you wherever you tell them to go. They're the kind of kids you need to explain what's going on. And what that means is, Sean, and and I'm, and I know you know this. So this this rhetorical setup is. They're gonna watch what you do much more than what you say. They're gonna see what the results are. You can get in front of the team and say, "Guys, we're gonna make these changes, and this is good because I love you and I owe you this, and we're all about the players." But if then things don't change in the practice field or in the meeting room, then it you know it, it's not gonna change. I mean, you know, look, there's a cert- there's a right way and a wrong way to talk to players, and this has nothing to do with curse words. I've never had a problem with how Harry Stan- Harry Easton gets after his players. Because, you know, cussing is, cuss. I mean, that's just a, a different way of communicating. One thing we've always said is, and I know some people don't agree with me on that. I get that. That's fine. Uh, but the one thing we've always said is when you listen to Harry, he's saying cuss a kid up. He's cussing a kid up. in a. He's teaching them. It's not just calling you a dumb, dumb mf right? It's get your effing feet here and your effing hands there. What the F are you doing? This is what you need to do. This is how you need to do it. Right. We can we can we can discuss whether or not he should or should be using curse words. I mean, look, this is football, man. You know what I mean? Like suck it up and let's go play ball. But when it's just cussing out a player, calling a player name, those type of things, that's the kind of culture. That's the kind of toxic culture that you can have. And 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 my there are some instances where I've been I've been told of some of those things from enough sources to make me realize that this is true. Yeah. And 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 so my point is, is there are things like that where when you're hearing from players, and I've I've had parents reach out to me and say, hey, this is what's going on. So look, you, there's nothing I can do about it. You like you need to call the you need to call the boss. You know what I mean? Like I can't do anything about it. Yeah. You know, and you know to the point where it's like, okay, this isn't about playing time. This isn't about X's and O's. This is about scheme. This is about you. And you you created a, a culture as a coach, as an assistant coach that you thought was important, you want that to be part of your football team. Now you guys are holding your assistant coaches accountable. And I think this is the opportunity that Marcus Freeman has, Sean, let's get into this, right?
3: Let's do
1: it. Marcus Freeman has a chance to truly put his stamp on this program. And what's been happening at Notre Dame, in my opinion, within a lot of instances is, and this is natural. This isn't a criticism. This is natural. It's, when a coach leaves who you may not have liked, but was perceived to be successful, Mm -hmm. you're going to always hold the new coach up to that standard. And if you're going to do something different than the way that coach did it, it better work. Because if it doesn't, you're going to have older players saying, well, you know, I may not have liked so-and-so, but what he did worked," and this kind of thing. right? Right. And so you've got that issue. You've got, you, you've got a chance. So so, so there's the, the reason I say that is because there's still that there, that, still, that thing still exists of the former head coach and the way he did things yeah. and the thought of, well, that's maybe we should be doing that type of thing. That's part of it. But even deeper than that, it's the how do you want your program to be? Because you know this, Sean, when you're starting a business, when you're a parent, when you're a coach, whenever you're doing anything where there are people that are taking your guidance, your directive you have to lay the foundation the way you wanted the beginning, if not maybe even stricter than you'd like it to be because it's easier to loosen the reins a little bit than it is to, okay, this is getting off the rails. Let me reel it back in. And I think when it comes to one of the, I would say, look in hindsight, 2020 mistakes that Marcus Freeman made is early on he gave his coaches too much autonomy. He called them head coaches of their rooms. And I, and, I, and I think that's hurt him. Now, again, I'm, I'm being honest. This is hindsight 2020, okay? Because yeah. as an assistant coach, that's kind of what I would want. Like, let me run my room the way I want to run my room. Yeah. Let me run my offense the way I want to run my offense. But with a new head football coach instilling a new program, I think he needed to be more, okay, I let you guys do your thing. We're three and three. Things are going to change. I think that's the first thing he needs to step up is he's got to sit down. He's got to make sure that he's spending time first with his coordinators to see how practice is going, to see how the communication is going, to see how they're talking to players and treating players, communicating players. Maybe you don't even say this to him, but you're watching. And then if you see a coach acting up, I'm at the point now where it's like, hold hold, hold, hold on a second. No, no, not here. I'm not talking about cussing at a player. I'm talking about – you know, taking it across in those lines Yeah. because the, the point is, Sean, the players need to see that he has their back. And this isn't a player's coach kind of thing. They need to know that ultimately this is the standard I, I have, but I'm going to hold people accountable to p- living to that standard. Yeah. And when it's not happening, yeah, there's going to be consequences for me, for the coordinators, for the assistants, and for the players. Cause I think right now the players are feeling a lot of heat. Like they're the ones getting blamed for everything. No matter what Tommy Reese says at a press conference, they care more about what's happening Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in practice and what's being said to them in meetings. than they care about the offensive coordinator giving lip service. Again, that's not a criticism because that's what he should say it, but it just has to be backed up by things. And I think that's the first step is Marcus Freeman has to step into this and start demanding this because we're not saying that we're not seeing that based on what we're seeing on the field. We're not seeing that based on the comments that we hear. We're not seeing that based on so – everything goes together that we're not seeing that, Sean. And I think that's the first era where he can step in and say, this has to get fixed, and the players need to see him doing that.
2: And to go along with what you said about the autonomy thing to the positional coaches and the coordinators, I, my hope is that Coach Freeman doesn't get so caught up in trying to learn how to be a head coach that he forgets to be himself. The team is a reflection of the head coach. You're a great leader. You're very charismatic and fearless. And that's the way your team should play. Your team should be be exciting. It should be a team that everybody wants to watch and chime in and tune in and see what Notre Dame is doing. People do that anyway, just from the love-hate relationship across college football. Like I don't want him to get so caught up in like, man, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do as a head coach, where I'm going to walk, where I'm going to stand, this, that, and the other. No, be you. Be you and learn as you go. Because as long as you're being yourself, you're going to be able to properly deal with the situations because you're going to make sure that the program reflects who you are and your vision. That's the most important thing. Like, if he has gotten away from kind of being himself, I want him to get back to being himself, which goes to what you just said. Be yourself. Hold guys accountable. Make sure that everything that's going on from a communicative standpoint within the program is a reflection of you and how you would deal with situations. There has to be checks and balances. right? And you have to be that individual. That checks the coaches,
1: and that's one of the the risks you run with hiring a thirty six year old head coach and 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 you we knew this. Mm-hmm. but will a thirty six year old head coach be willing to get on an assistant coach who may be his age or and maybe even older than him or someone that he's friends with, right? He has to understand like somebody in the chat said Irish blood had said, you know uh, his job is to coach the coaches. And that's exactly right. And that's why yeah. that's why we have been, you know, critical of coach up to this point in time is because the only people person that can hold Al Golden and Tommy Reese accountable for for the product on the field is Marcus Freeman. That's it. Yeah. And 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 he's the only person who can hold them accountable for, for how things are going between the staff, how things are going to be in the players, just in general. Not even addressing specifically any issues that we may or may not hear. And to me, you know, those are the things that that go into this type of thing, Sean, is you've got to be yourself, but you've got to be yourself and and understanding that your role is different. You are not different. Your role is different. And that's to your point is you still got to handle things your way, but you've got to understand that, look, they're all answering for you now, to you now. And there's things that a head coach learns that you like, if I'm a head coach, I'm going to act this way then you become head coach, you're like, oh, okay, now I get why the previous coach did it that way, Yeah. right? And then you got to adjust, you know, it's like, wait, I think everybody has these thoughts, like, I don't have kids, but I have these thoughts of, well, if I was a parent, I would be, I would do this, 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 and this, and then you are a parent, I guarantee you, you and your wife had those thoughts, then you actually have a daughter, and you're like, okay, what I thought, how yes. I thought I would handle this, it's right. not how I'm going to handle this, and you know, because I'm, I'm not going to do what my dad did, right, yeah. and you're like, oh, now I know why my dad did it that way, Right. Yeah. And and that's kind of where I think coach is, is because the players, like people talk about the, you know, Mark Freeman is a players' coach. That's not a bad thing. Like I, I get tired of the way that that's used. Now, if you're a players' coach in that your team lacks discipline, well, hey, guess what? There are coaches who the players hate who lack discipline. There are coaches who don't treat players well who lack discipline. Being friendly or being liked by the players does not automatically mean your program is going to not have discipline. But here we are in the fact that this team does not have discipline. But I think it's not because he's a player's coach. I think he is too much of a coach's coach. I think that's a bigger issue than being a player's coach because you're not holding your coaches accountable. And when you're not holding your coaches accountable, then your players are not going to be accountable. And, and like, so like Brian Kelly would cross lines with that. We've heard some horror stories about how Brian Kelly would would show up as coaches in front of the players. That's not yeah. what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. But if I have a coach that is stepping over the lines, laying into a player, and I'm not talking about, you know, cussing at an offensive lineman for missing a block, as long as there's teaching involved. But when you're verbally like going after a guy a certain way, and we've heard too many stories like this from, from certain coaches you've got to say, okay, this is the moment I need to step in and handle this in front of everybody. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you get in his face and, and bring out about a fight, but you stop it right now and then you deal with it later. And the players need to see that. They see that, they're going to be like, okay, the coach has our back. And then they're going to feel like they can come to you with maybe something that's been going on because that's a big part of your job as a head football coach.
3: Yeah,
1: And then the coaches need to know – Okay, there's a line I can – if I don't want to get my butt shown up in front of my team, then there's a, a line I know I can't cross. There's an expectation and the standard that I know I need to live up to. And I think that's one of the biggest things right now that Marcus Freeman can do is it's not about ripping your quarterback in front of the whole team or ripping your nose tackle in front of the whole team or your corner. And then I'm just throwing out random positions. I'm not saying he should rip you in it. And it was like, oh, what should he be saying to Howard Cross? No, I'm saying. I'm just throwing out random positions. It's, and I'm not saying you rip the coaches just a coach, just, just because it's, it's about creating a standard that, that, that you don't do this. That's not who we are. Everything you just said, that was a personal insult. That was not coaching mm-hmm. and that's not going to be tolerated. And then the other coaches know like, Hmm, you know, like, Hey, this is happening. I sat there and watched you drill all week and you didn't do anything to address the stuff that cost us the game on Saturday. That's not something you address in front of the team, but that's something you address in private,
3: yeah. and fix
1: it. You know, and those are the things we're not saying because, and the reason I, I say we're not saying that is because the same stuff keeps happening over and over again. And people, and some people in chat, like, "Well, oh, the defense has held every opponent to this number of points," and all, and and look, the defense has been playing well enough to win every game. We're not denying that, but if you think the defense is playing anywhere close to their full potential, you're missing the boat on this. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and look at a lot of the success they've had, some of it's been scheme driven. But other times it's like Isaiah Fosky says, okay, I'm in, I'm putting this one away real quick. You know, and and, and it's been more player driven. And I think that's why it's been so inconsistent. They don't tackle well, they take poor angles of the football, they blow coverages. There's all types of things that have been happening. They they blow assignments, they don't adjust, they can't stop Casey freaking Filkins on a shovel pass. You know what I mean? Like they're not a well coached team, they're just a talented team that has got more talent than most of the teams that they're going to play. And so the problem exists across the board, Sean. And I think that yeah. right there is, but see, but see, that's the attitude. That's what we talk about is the opportunity that Marcus Freeman has. And and when it comes to the players, you know, setting a standard for, you know, Hey, I don't care if you're a senior. I don't care if you came back to help us win a championship. I don't care if you came back to get to the end, you know, to raise your draft stock, you're not living up to the standard and i've always said this when 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 a captain can get ripped that mm. everybody knows they can get ripped and everybody knows they can be held to a standard because whether you like it or not when you allow certain players to to do certain things and you don't allow others that creates a a, a problem now a more established coach can get away with that a first year coach can't no and that's where coach freeman finds himself so there's just a lot of that type of stuff that exists that if coach freeman can address it it sets a standard of, of of excellence. It raises the bar to say, uh-uh, not on my watch. And and that's the thing, is because to your point, Sean, if Marcus Freeman is gonna fail at Notre Dame, he needs to fail being himself. Because if he tries to be something that he's not, he will fail anyway. Yeah. And he's dooming himself to that. Yeah. You got here because you believed in a certain principle of how to treat players, how to go about practice, how to recruit how to do this, how to do that. And we're not seeing that from your football team.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's an
3: issue.
1: And basically
2: you're talking about, you know, sticking, being disciplined.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Being disciplined. Be yourself. Trust yourself. Trust your vision. Be disciplined. And that'll flow down to your rest of your coaches and that'll flow down to your players. And what we see now is an undisciplined football team, an inconsistent football team. Right. A person once told me "An undisciplined life is a life of fear. Yep. That doesn't reflect who Marcus Freeman is. Just because he says he wants to win in the trenches and be driven by the offensive line and defensive lines doesn't mean that everything has to be schematic. That's not what it means. When you hear both the coordinators talk, all you hear is scheme. 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 You hear Houston Griffith after the game say we cannot allow teams to come in here and dictate to us. Right. This is a player. This is a player basically telling you we're allowing teams to dictate to us what's going to happen. And And that's what we've seen defensively. defensively.
1: And that's what we've seen defensively. It's very reactionary, which is more what the NFL is about as opposed to college.
2: And the offense has been very reactionary like you have players come out and dictate to the defense right how they react to that there's a reason why college football put in a rule that when the offense changes the defense gets a chance to match them to make it fair give the defense a chance to react to you instead of you reacting to the coverage that you see and then we can get one of our best players an opportunity to do something. Mm -hmm. That's that's not playing fearless football. That's playing with fear. We can only do this in this particular situation at this particular time. That's not playing fearless football. That's not believing in the talent that you have. You and can't players that.
1: know that, Sean. They yes. know. Sean, you played sports in high school. I played sports in high school. I believe I don't think you played in college, right? You went to to no. Illinois, right? I played up uh, to semi, yeah, yeah, semi. Played in yeah. college. We've been around, you've been around sports a, a big chunk of your adult life. I've been around it. The reality is, is that's the that's the mark of you're gonna play a certain way. If you if you don't think that your coaches truly believe in you, you're going to play a certain way. Because you were troubled by Houston Griffith's comments. I was more I was more troubled by Drew Pines hmm. when he started talking about Tobias Merriweather.
3: <laughs>
1: Who, by like, the
2: way, for a reason, was his camp roommate. Like right. when Tobias said that, I'm like, oh, okay. Yep.
1: My thing is is like that speaks volumes about where we're at. And and look there comes a point in time where I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you do your job until you get to the point that you're not doing it the way that I want it done.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And that doesn't mean micromanaging, but it's there's a standard of excellence that's required. And and a head coach needs to be able to say, Hey, look, um, I'm not telling you what you need to do as far as scheme and X's and O's and all that. I'm not telling you what place to call. Here's what I am telling you. 15 needs to be on the field and he needs to get the ball. Do you see what he's doing to our defense in practice? Well, coach, he does. Again, I apologize for you thinking that this was a discussion. That's on me. I should have yeah. been more, more clear that this was not a conversation. This was a directive. 15 needs to play. 16's healthy now. He needs to play. Right? Yeah. Okay. We need to simplify what we're doing. Well, how so? That's what you're getting paid seven figures to figure out. But what I'm telling you is this huge giant play sheet that I'm told by sources is even bigger than it was in the past needs to be scaled down a lot, okay? Lincoln Riley's play sheet's about that big. Yours is about this big. Find a freaking happy medium, right. okay? Right? And, and and if the kids can't execute it, you know, as people say, well, the play call was there. The quarterback's got to get there. And Tommy Reese said something yesterday that I that I that I, I hope that he believes. I pray that he believes because if he actually believes this or if this was something that that was said to him, but if he truly believes this, then they're going to be okay. And he was asked about, is it play calling or execution? And this is what he said. If we don't execute a call, a play, it's a bad call, point blank. I'll take the shoulder of it. If our guys don't go out there and execute it, then it's not the right call. There are plays maybe that we can hit, sure. But if it doesn't hit, then what good is it to look back and say, shoot, we had the right call? There's nothing there. How can we make sure our guys go can go execute? If I shoulder the blame, that's great. It means our players aren't. We want to continue to push them in the right direction give them a chance on Saturdays to have success. That's pretty much our process. So that sounds great. That sounds great if that's what he actually believes. If that's just him kind of coach speak, then, that's, then nothing's going to change. But my point is... That's what the directive needs to be from Coach Freeman. So my hope and what I'm what I'm hoping that comment was about was similar to Al Gold made a similar comment, mm-hmm. and my hope is that came after a a conversation with the head coach. Yeah, and that's what we're getting to is if that conversation happened, great. Then Coach Freeman's already starting to address the things that we're discussing. If it's just lip service and nothing's going to change, and yeah, may, they may go out-talent a, a, a mediocre UNLV team. Maybe they out-talent Syracuse, but yeah. on November 5th, we're going to see this thing all happen again, right? Because this team has shown when they are on, they can beat anybody. So just going out on Saturday and playing well doesn't mean that the issues have been addressed, right? Because people said, well, if they were 5-1, and one, would you still be having these conversations? Yeah. Did you guys not hear me all last year rip Brian Kelly during 11-1 season? Right? Did you not hear me in 2019 ripping Brian Kelly during the 10-2 and season?
3: Yeah.
1: Right? It's the same thing here. It's because I'm a believer in the process, not the results. In a championship, the results the, – a, a championship is a result. But the result happens because the process is being done correctly. Exactly. Wins, wins can happen if the process is not correct, if you have the better players. But what we're seeing is, is that when there is a, a process that's flawed, Brian Kelly's process was flawed, on top of there being cultural issues in the locker room and a lack of accountability within the leadership of the locker room, that compounds things, and that's how you see this. And, and I don't know why, Sean, but you've talked a lot about this. The players under Brian Kelly, it's almost like Marcus Freeman being liked by, respected by the players hurts him. Mm. Because I think for the first time in some of these guys' careers, they actually look to the head coach for guidance. Right. They looked to the head coach for answers. Right. They looked to the head coach to to do this instead of saying screw him, we're going to do this ourselves. And that's something you and I have been hearing for years from players. And and I wonder if that was that that edge was lost when they hired a coach that they liked. And again, that doesn't make him a player's coach. It makes him someone that they respect. And and then all of a sudden things don't work, and then it's like then you have the doubts to creep in, and that's why. If he doesn't step in and get this addressed now, the process—not about doing what it takes to beat UNLV, but change the process—then you wonder just how much toxicity can get into the program and can he heal it? Because I think that, like you said, Sean,
2: at the beginning, this can't wait till the off-season. No, can't. absolutely it can't. not. It'll be too late on so many fronts. You have to deal with it right now because if you don't deal with it right now, like you said, you know, this is. Not just Notre Dame. A lot of programs. You're like you're coming to that part of the season where teams that are struggling or 500 or not living up to expectations, parents, players, they're talking. They're trying to figure out what's the next step. Is staying here the best thing for me? Mm-hmm. Do I want to be around here? Do I have a problem with coaches? Do I fit here? Those conversations are taking place. They're taking place. And in the first year, you don't want to forget the record. Forget the record. Just forget the record now. I think we've said it for three weeks now. This season is about Notre Dame and how Notre Dame looks. And what the Stanford game showed us is that BYU and North Carolina wasn't everything we thought it was cracked up to be. That's what it showed us, right? And if you go back and you look, what's the consistent thing? Not finishing games, inconsistent play, blown coverages. Just a team that's not playing with his hair on fire. This team should be playing with his hair on fire, and they're not. It's almost like they're robotic. They're schematic. This is how we win games. When you have a better roster than at least nine of the teams on your schedule that if you go out and you play aggressive sound football, you're going to win handily, but you're not doing that why not? why is it does it why does it feel like you have to go out and come up with the perfect game plan in order to score touchdowns start fast, be analytical when you have the better players and we've seen so many times that you come out with a game plan. We go back to the cow game, Brian. You come out with a game plan. Game plan doesn't work. Then all of a sudden, you know what? Our offensive line can bully them. No kidding. Really? You just figured this out after the scheme didn't work? Now you want to go to the fact that your players are better? That should be the first thing. Our players are better. Let's deal with that. Let's put them in position to hammer this team for four quarters from the first snap. But that's not what we're getting. And it goes back to I question whether or not there's a bigger issue between head coach to the rest of the coaches than it is from coaches to players. Because one thing players will always do, players want to win. More than everybody. That's what you saw from Houston Griffith Mm -hmm. with what he said. At the end of the day, all of us came back for a reason. That's out the window. But we still want to finish this season right. They want to win. They're used to winning. Houston Griffith isn't used to this. Mm -hmm. He's never experienced this. Ever. Three and three after six games. He's not used to this. And there are a lot of players in that locker room that are not used to this. But you want them to buy into what you said, I can't do it that way. I can't do it like the former coach. I have to make sure I do it my way. Okay. While you're doing it your way, you got to make sure you win some games. Right. Yeah, make sure you win some games, and like all of this. Look, I told someone. I think I said it. There is no <laughs> look. There is no more patient fan base in the world than Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, which 19- is why I get pissed off at at alums jumping on Twitter yeah. telling people they should be more patient.
2: 1988, These. my man. 1988, and the fan base is still here. Right. The fan base is still traveling to Las Vegas, selling it out. 1988, the fan base is going to go across the pond next year and sell out in Ireland. 1988, don't tell us about patience. We've been more than patient. Yep. Get the job done. Yep. That's all we want. Get the job done. This yep. is a very intelligent and knowledgeable fan base. We know right, that this is a new regime. We know that right we knew we had two first time starting quarterback options we know that you don't have to sell that to us we know that and we knew what the true expectations of this team were right but the expectations weren't getting shut out by Stanford in the first half at home that wasn't it
1: or or losing to Marshall again we're not we're not pissed because they lost a you know, a, a really good North Carolina team on the road in a shootout or because they lose to Clemson. I mean, we're talking about Stanford and Marshall. And, again, that that goes – that's where this thing starts to really hit home, Sean. And You know, and you talk about, you know, playing at a high level. Look, the young people it can – and Marcus Freeman has made comments about this. Like, you know, young people can be yeah. more affected by certain things than a professional athlete. A 29-year-old NFL quarterback that's been in the league for six or seven years is going to just kind of take what is said or done by an offensive coordinator and just in one or not the other cuz he's like dude I make more than you and if it comes down to it you're leaving not me. You you yeah. know what I mean? So like a 19-year-old kid or a freshman that's that's being just berated in front of his teammates and not being coached but just being cussed at and called names is is not going to handle that well, but then all of his teammates see that and then they're looking around saying is this okay? Is this allowed? nobody's saying anything. So it must be. Now that's not a genetic, that's a, that is not a made up example. I'm just going to tell you that right now. (laughs) Not a made up example, right? You can't say publicly if my players want to know why they're not playing, they need to go talk to the coaches because I'm hearing story after story, after story from independent people that don't know that they're talking to me or don't know each other and they're telling me the same exact story that they're not being told what to do. Just keep working. Just keep working. Just keep working. On what? (laughs) On what? That's the reason we're here. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's when you give lip service to kids, like the, the, like, like kids, like we see at Notre Dame, you're going to lose the locker room. I think a little faster than you might at other places because of the fact they are different type of kids. Right. And when this stuff is happening over and over and over again, and and they see like if you're if you're a freshman linebacker and and you're a talented kid and you were sold the opportunity to come in and compete by a coach who's no longer in charge of you. And then you come in and you watch what you're seeing on Saturdays, or if even if you're a young guy like Prince Colley, a freshman like Jalen or Nolan Ziegler, and you're watching what happens on every single Saturday and you see that there's no accountability for it, yelling at a player is not accountability. When you just keep throwing a guy out there, that's not accountability. That's just yelling at a guy. Accountability is, okay, if you're not going to do it the way that I want it, then I need to figure out, am I coaching it wrong, or am I going to find somebody else to play? Yeah. And then when you're not being communicated to, or you're not being coached, or you're not being engaged with, you're going to lose that kid. And, and that's what coaches in college have to deal with. That's what they have to embrace. And if you don't want to embrace that, go coach a 54-man roster in the NFL. Right? If you don't want to deal with 100 kids and the realization that I got to coach every single kid on my roster, then go coach in the NFL where you basically just have enough dudes to play.
3: Yeah.
1: And that's fine. I mean, it's it's, it's all good. Go do what you want to do. Right? But that's that's something that we're hearing, that that in the past – there was enough members of the staff that that were doing it the right way that it was kind of like you could you'd get it you'd get things the way you wanted them to be and I think that that's something that I think I miscalculated when you're looking at this team was I assumed that that the standard would be set and demanded by Coach Freeman on how they're supposed to go about their business and I don't think he's done enough of holding the coaches accountable to that standard that's my issue. Yeah. And I don't care what he says publicly. I don't want him to go throw a coach under the bus.
3: Yeah.
1: But when we see it six weeks in a row, it it's like the old saying: if if you don't if you don't if you allow it, you're condo- I mean, you might as well teach it. If you're letting it happen, then you're allowing it to happen, right? I mean, if if you're not saying no, 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 we're not doing that, and it's the same thing to young people as you just saying, yeah, we're going to do it that way. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Because you continue to allow it to happen, right? You don't have to necessarily verbally condone it, but when you don't do anything about it, then you're, you know, you're condoning it, and that's what we're seeing in this instance. And that's why I think you're you're losing the locker room right now, Sean. And that's the biggest thing that you and I have learned in our conversations over the last three weeks is even after some of the wins, (laughs) they were they were not gratifying in certain ways to a lot of people because they're still the same things, the still things are existing. It's just you know they couldn't cover Michael Mayer or they couldn't block, you know, this
2: player, that player,
1: you know, and the players see that they
2: know winning because of them, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. And we know the guys, right? Like you've mentioned Aloy Gilman Mm -hmm. and what he was in the locker room. Like think it's, we shouldn't think it's strange to see the success, even though people didn't grade him high, weren't impressed with his performance at the pro day. I'm not shocked that Kurt Heinrich is overachieving in the NFL. I'm not shocked because I know the leader he was in that program in the locker room. Who's that guy? Right. Who's that guy right now? Right. Who?
1: The problem is I think the only guy that's doing that right now was – is the tight end but it's being undermined by what's happening from a coaching standpoint Mm. that's that's the problem yeah you know and that's what we addressed yesterday is like look these are not these are not minor fixes you know these are not minor fixes these are you're doing this wrong and you need to change it now and 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 if Coach Freeman doesn't step in and say, Hey, this has to change now, I'm just telling y'all right now, by the time we get to Thanksgiving, there's no move he can make from a, a coaching standpoint or replacing coaches, hiring new coaches standpoint that's gonna keep some of these kids make some of these kids want to stay. I'm no. just I'm just telling you right now. It, it, it there comes a point in time where it's like, okay, you've you've you're you're past the point of no return. And no matter what you say or do, you've lost this. And when that happens, it's much, much harder to fix, especially in a place like Notre Dame. And so that's why it is so important that he walks in there and says, I mean, and honestly, somebody had suggested in the chat, Sean, and I actually think this is a great idea. I'm going to pull this up. Mike Sullivan said Freeman should have a team meeting with just him and the players. Address what the captain's roles are and tell them he has them. And he, I think he said he has like I think you said something like he has their back. Let me get to this the rest of, of Mike's comment because it was it was over parts of two and it was a really good comment. Let me get to the next part of it. If a captain stands up for his group, he needs to know that Freeman has his back. And I and I think that's a that's a that's a, a great point. You know, if you can't always be there, then let Michael let Michael Mayer know or Jarrett Patterson know that they have the right to say, uh uh-uh, uh, coach, crossing the line, partner. You know what I mean? And I mean, it shouldn't be. let the other assistant coaches know, hey, man, I don't care who it is. This is the line, and I can't be everywhere at once. This is the standard. This will not be tolerated anymore. And
0: yeah. you know, I'm not talking about
1: cussing. We're not talking about cussing. This isn't soft. We're not soft. This is, this is, look, some people don't like cussing. I get that. That's fine. But, you know, that's part of life. That's how some people communicate. I'm not talking about somebody said in the chat, there's a difference between being cussed at. And and people cussing, you know what I mean. Like, uh, don't cuss at me, right? Don't just mf me, right? But I can deal with harsh language if there's an explanation as to why you're mad at right. me, and and what I can do about it, right? And so, you know, there there's there just a lot of those things going on, Sean. That that are are happening. That I truly feel that if Coach Freeman and and even if you take the cultural the cultural stuff, the locker room stuff out of the equation the football part's bad enough. <laughs> and so if he just steps in and, and and it makes an obvious assertion of his authority and demands change in a fashion that it's clearly the coach Freeman stepped in here and it works. I think these players are dying. And, and this has been true of every conversation I've had. Every time I talk to a, parent a player a relative a former coach of one of these players whoever it is they always after complaining they always throw in the caveat of how much they want coach freeman to succeed and how it's not about him their only frustration with him is he's not doing anything about it Mm. and that's where he's losing it and so if 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 he will step in and show a very clear uh uh-uh this isn't okay. This and I'm even if just from a football standpoint, right? Even if it's just as simple as saying, hey, 15 needs to play. And the comment from Drew Pine, and Drew Pine's made this comment a couple times, and this is what we're talking about is you listen to Drew talk about Tobias Merriweather, and you think the kid's a flipping stud. Well, guess what? That's what every player that we talk to, every source that we talk to says has said about Tobias Merriweather since July. He's yeah. the best receiver we have in practice. And then he doesn't play till really meaningful snaps. Until, and he only played 10 snaps on Saturday. Like, yeah, your offense str- sucks. Well, Tobias per- Merriweather played 10 plays, and he got open for what should have been touchdowns twice. Maybe you might want to up the usage a little bit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and so it's that – even if it's just that, Sean, where it's him stepping in and saying, hey, hey, look, I'm not an offensive guru, but here's what I know. As a defensive coordinator, I couldn't cover him and I couldn't cover him, they need to play more, right? They need yeah. the ball. How do you expect – you figure that out. If I have to figure that out for you, then why, why am I paying you, right? Like, you know, like I, I shouldn't have to do your job for you. Well, what I'm telling you is this, that kid needs to play more. That kid needs to get the ball. Yeah. This kid needs to be used more this way. This thing needs right. to happen more over here. And and that's how – he. and if kids say, hey, look, Al – I've given you a lot of rope here, but I'm sick of watching these linebackers play this way. If you think that, that we have a talent problem, then play somebody else. If it's not a talent problem and they're just not grasping what you're what you're teaching, well, we're six, we're a spring practice, we're winter, spring, summer, fall camp, six, seven weeks into the season. And if they haven't figured it out yet, then maybe we're not teaching it right. Matter of fact, let me check that. I know we're not teaching it right. Yeah. Put too much on their plate. There's too much volume. Simplify it. Let these kids go play fast. And those are the conversations that need to be happening. And if he just does that right now, it's enough to get him to the end of the season to fix the other stuff. Yeah. In my opinion. For most of the kids and the co- and the other coaches. So. And you have to fix thing. it
2: because you want, you have to fix it. The 23 recruiting, in my opinion, 23 recruiting class is not in danger as it currently sits. Right. Like you're talking about a five-star kid that might go elsewhere. Heck, that's always a challenge until they sign on the dotted line. When you're talking about a top 20 kid, top 15 kid. But the bulk of the class is pretty much locked in. A lot of those kids double-digit. Double-digit number of kids probably come in as early enrollees out of this class. What's the culture when they come in? Right. Like, do they come into a culture that lines up with what they bought into? Or do they come into a culture that's going to be a shock? Right. A culture shock. And like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't what I expected. Right. But like you have to change this now. Right. Because the kids that are under everything right now are going to be the kids leading the way in off season training. <laughs> you don't want them to go into all season training, not all in. You want them all in so right. that the youngsters come in all in. Not whispers about this coach, that coach, this situation, that situation. You don't need that. Uh, Just after the first year? No. You don't need that. And the things that you've been speaking about have to be dealt with. And they have to be dealt with right now. I can't stress that anymore than we stressed it today. It has to be dealt with immediately. Or you have bigger problems. Right. You're going to have bigger problems. And it's right. it's not as simple. And with that, it's not as simple as replacing a coach. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. You right. can replace a coach and things stay the exact same way. It might change just a little right. bit because that coach might not curse. Right. But he still operates The same way when it comes to player usage, putting players in situations to be successful and being schematic instead of allowing this program to go to the next level to where it's it's not as robotic as it's been. Like when have you seen Notre Dame go into a big game that you didn't feel like they had to scheme the heck out of the next team to win the game? that is the feeling i've had as a fan for years like man how are we going to beat clemson right how are we going to beat them we're going to have to get some turnovers we're going to have to do this we have to make sure we do that instead of just saying you know what we can line up with them we can play with them of course scheme matters game plan matters But once that game plan, like Mike Tyson said it best, everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right. Everybody has a game plan. Then the fight starts when you get punched in the mouth. Now what? Because teams aren't – even bad teams are about to lay down for you.
1: That right there, Sean, is the biggest thing that tells me that there is a bigger issue here than just game plan or play calling. And this is what I mean by that. How can you play how, – how are your three best games this year against the three best teams you've played and your three worst Absolutely. games against the three worst teams you played? It's what we've said all along. It's easy to get up for Ohio State as a player.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. It's easy to get up for North Carolina. It's yeah. easy to get up for BYU. It takes leadership and a cult, strong culture to get up to play Marshall. Yes. The week after losing Ohio State. To play Cal. The week after losing to Marshall. To play Stanford, who you know stinks, And they watch the film. There, there's there's no there's no shine there, there's no shining that one up. No, right? you ain't shining that turd up. It's still a turd, right? It, it, they they're not good, and the players just thought they could go out there and, and, and roll them, and and that was not that was that's always been some of an issue at Notre Dame from a from a, a coaching standpoint. Yeah. But you felt like you mentioned Alonzo Gilman. Elohim Gilman was not going to let them lose to Vanderbilt in 2018. No, he was. And so he did something about it. Right. He He was not going to let them, he was not going to let them lose to pit. So he did something about it. Right. I mean, you know, Khalid Kareem was not going to let them lose to pit. So he did some about something about it. Ian book as bad as he played, wasn't going to let them lose to pit. So he went out and had, you know, sucked the first three quarters and lit them up in the fourth quarter when the game was on the line. Right. Like you at least had that in the past. That's missing from this team. Right. You know, like when they got a 14, 13 lead last, you know, in past years, a defensive player would have stepped up on that last drive and said, okay, I'm going to put this sucker away. Yeah. And we didn't see that. After they took a 16-14 lead, somebody on offense would have stepped up and said, hey, I got this. And we didn't see that because we have to that be speaks fair. to a bigger
2: problem. We have to be fair. J.D. made a play. They took the lead. J.D. Bertrand made a play. They took it from Sure,
1: him. sure. Took, he made
2: a play. But there and were several plays
1: after that. You are correct. Yeah. You are correct, yeah. J.D. and and, he came, and it wasn't an accidental – knockout no he came with him. a right hook and yes so you're correct but that's also a captain that's been knocked out of two games because of targeting right i mean it just it's just it, it's like one thing after another with this team yeah and then you give up that score and they had multiple possessions after that right and instead of somebody step step up and make a play you fumble the ball away
3: <laughs> you know
1: and so i mean those are the things you look at sean and you say this team just doesn't this team doesn't have that same culture that we saw from past teams, at a player yeah. standpoint. Because the one thing we always talked about, and the one things that, that players have always said to us, and and is that this the culture we had didn't come from Brian Kelly. It was in spite of Brian Kelly, and that's why I think it's almost kind of like Marcus Freeman. It was it was worse for Marcus Freeman because they did look to him in a way that they didn't look to the previous coach four, they did look to their leadership in a way that they didn't look to their leadership before. And, and to be honest with you, it, it kind of, it kind of has let them down a little bit, you know? And so I'm, I'm looking at this, this two here, Sean. So after that fumble, Stanford was at the 49 yard line. They gained another 25 yards before getting in field goal range. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at, and you know, there, there were, there were, and then Notre Dame gets the ball back, drives into Stanford territory, and fumbles. And Notre Dame gets the and the thing is, like at the end of the game, when Notre Dame is down two points, they got the ball with two and a half minutes left.
2: Half minutes.
1: Yeah. They ran a yeah. minute and a half off the clock and didn't get and gained 15 yards in a minute and a half. Right. Like. Yeah. That was the team that was unprepared to go win in that instance. Yeah. Coaching you know wise. Because everything had been about scan, scan, scan. Right. Right. And you can't do that in a two minute drill. No, you got to go play. Right. You have to go play. But that's the thing is, is, is at the end of the day, the head coach said, okay, I'm going to let you do it because you think it's going to work. But then when it doesn't work, you got to be able to step in and say, uh uh-uh. uh. But unfortunately, they weren't willing to see it early enough. Because, I mean, we talked about this after the BYU game. Like, look, you can't – because they haven't been doing this scan nonstop all season. Right. This was in response to the struggles that they were having. Right. And so we really saw it ramped up against BYU. And we said, like, yeah, it's worked this game, but you you, you run the risk of losing momentum and rhythm. And we Absolutely. said that after the win. That's what a good coach should do is he needs to say, hey, look, this worked, but you can't do this every play. No. And if if Coach Freeman doesn't believe he's an offensive guru, and I actually respected that comment, it, it takes a strong person to admit what they don't know and admit where they are not, especially someone who's as smart and successful as Marcus Freeman has been in a very short period of time to admit, hey, I'm not a genius here. I don't know everything about this then what he needs to do is then look at it from the what you are in a, a, a guru at. How would you want that? To, how would you feel if an offense was doing this to you? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you do that, then, hey, you know, like this is – I wish okay. you would do this to me.
2: Tommy always had the crutch, whether people knew it or not, Coach Kelly will sit there, and Coach Kelly will watch, 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 and then Coach Kelly will say, we need to go to this.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: This is what we need to do. And then Tommy will call a play according to what's coach, what Coach Kelly said on the field.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You're right. You're not Coach Kelly. But you know defense. Right. And you can say, look, this is what they're doing. They keep doing this in this situation. This You, you need to attack this. You need to attack that. You can definitely give your input from a different perspective because you are the master at something. Right. Trust that.
1: That adds value to that other side of the ball. Absolutely. Hey, I don't know how to teach inside zone, but I'll tell you what. Here's what I had a hard time with when teams would do this against us. You know what inside zone looks like. You had to defend it. You had to come up with ways to stop it. You know what a tempo offense is, is like because you've had to come up with ways to stop it. And you know what these things can do. So that's where you need to step in. And I just feel like one of the things that if I were to fault Coach Freeman and here I want to see him get better at it, is look, you got this job because of your merit, because of who you are. Yeah. Don't back down from that. Be who you are because I don't think he has been himself in my opinion. I think he is trying to be a head coach and that, that being a head coach comes from, you know, your preparation is different. Your, your emphases are different. You have different responsibilities, but it doesn't mean you have to be different. Yeah. You need to see, be the same energetic guy that shakes the hand of every player and, and gets after it and holds to the high standard and is, you know, like, I don't want to, and I don't know if he's doing this in practice because we're not a practice, but I don't want to see a head coach, you know, see him now back like this, you know, Kind of watching everything and all that kind, of, you know. I want to see him getting his hands dirty, absolutely. You know what I mean, and, and and being around and those type of things, and 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 doing it in other areas, you know, and that maybe and spending more time with the offense, maybe than you did before, and looking at it from a defensive standpoint. Like, man, I, I tell you what, I'd lock this down. I would lock this down because you guys are taking thirty five seconds to run every single play. You stand there in a formation, you make one little shift, that doesn't affect me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like here's what would get me is if you did the scan for one series and the next series you came out and ran two-minute offense. That would mess me up. You know what I mean? And, and so those are the different things you look at and you say, man, there's just a lot of that stuff. So, I mean, again, even if you take out the behind-the-scenes stuff that we're hearing, these are the football things that Coach Freeman needs to do right now yeah. that will make this team better. And, you know, I wish every coordinator was having the success that Brian Mason is having. I wish they were. But they're not. And so
2: it's up to him I to step in and Cole say,
3: Bauer.
2: yeah, right. It's it up to him. Ball. What's that? No, I was just saying Coach May said it was Bo Bauer, special teams captain that was out with an injury, that actually call mm-hmm. the punk block. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So he's still Love involved. It. He's a captain.
1: Right. He, he's leading that group. And what does it say about the relationship Bo has with Brian Mason to – say, speak that to him. Yeah. And feel he might actually listen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it says something there. So just from a football standpoint, those are the things I want to see. And, and, you know, will we see it? I don't know. I hope so. I hope that what we heard yesterday in the press conference or yes, yesterday in the press conference, Sean, is a byproduct of that conversation. That's what I hope.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, I and hope we'll know on true. Saturday, yeah. I
2: hope, we'll I know hope on Saturday, yeah, yeah. And and what's the next? Is the Syracuse game the next true? Okay, now we're about to find out, right? Who this team is? That's that's the yeah. next game for you. These next
1: three games for me are what's going to tell me. Okay, and it's not even so much about beating Clemson. It's about if if you lose, why. It's not even about beating Syracuse because at the end of the day, Sean, if they can beat North Carolina on the road with all this crap going on, they can beat Syracuse on the road. Again, it's not about the result per se. They're they have better players in Syracuse, and that's why I, I laugh at some of these people in the chat. Some of them are people you've never seen before, so you know they're, they're, they're LSU trolls and different things. But saying like some of them are Notre Dame fans. Well, it's a talent problem. Like, look, they didn't lose to Stanford because of talent, y'all. They didn't lose to Marshall because of talent. Come on now. No. Like, use your head for a second. Stop buying into the BS. Okay. Stop buying into the excuses. Okay. And, and you, you can. And the other thing I can't stand is people say, what, you know, you need to support the coach. I am. I am. Because just sitting back and saying, no, 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 it's okay. Keep doing what you're doing. Knowing it's going to fail. I've always used this as an example. You know, it's like I've, I've used it in the past with like, you know, sharing, you know, sharing the gospel with people or, or speaking to them about a political issue or, or yeah. in this instance about sports it's about whatever the case may be. It's like if you know that right around a corner is a mugger ready to mug somebody. Do you a say, hey, stop what you're doing? Don't do that. Mm. Go another way. Or would you say, well, it's not really my business to really speak to them about this. That's their life. Yeah. Right. Like if you know that something bad could happen from this, then you speak to it. Just letting people do whatever they do. Cause Hey, I don't want to judge people. That's not loving. That's not support. That's just cowardice in my opinion. And so people say, well, if you really support the program, you'll just sit back and no, that bullcrap. That's not support. That's blind loyalty. That's a cult. I'm not a cult member. I'm a fan. I'm a. I'm an analyst. I'm a publisher. I'm not a cult member. You know what I mean? I don't believe everything, that, that just accept everything as it is because uh, I, that's the only way to support people. Right? That's how we get the politicians we get because people just blindly support people no matter what the yeah. freaking heck that they do. That's how right. we deal with 12 years of what we dealt with with Brian Kelly because people just accept it because, hey, if you, if you support the program, you're just going to agree with everything that they say. I hate that stuff. I respect Marcus Freeman. I want him to succeed. I wanted Brian Kelly to succeed, even though I didn't necessarily like him very much. I still want the program to succeed. And this is the voice. This is the opportunity we have to speak our, uh, what we see, our opinion, our truth, which I hate the expression, our truth, but you know what I mean by that, right? Like this is what we believe is the case. And if we didn't speak it, then that's not supporting Marcus Freeman. In my opinion, we're supporting him by saying, we want you to be successful. And this is how we see it. I don't expect yeah. him to do anything because we say it but no you know hopefully he believes the same thing like if he does this it's not because he listened to our show and he made and he said you know what Sean O'Brien are right it's cuz he knew it and he did it and we're just kind of saying this is what we think he needs to do If that's the
2: case uh, I'm missing a direct deposit coming to my bank there, there you go there you go <laughs> there yeah. you go. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I need a direct deposit. Yes. As a consultant, yes. or an you can at
1: least hook us up with a Roos Chris dinner every now and then. You know what I mean? Like when we're when we're in right. town. So, right. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, but that's I mean, if you if you care about something, then you should be willing to speak truth to it. That's the reality of it. And just sitting back and saying, "Nah, nah, i just gonna keep my mouth shut." Like this is what. You know, former Notre Dame alums and stuff are saying to fans like y'all should shut up, learn how to break down film. Well, I know how to break down film and I'm this is what's going on, right? Um, you know, uh, hate you know, and, and people that I like and respect, but it's like stop telling people to just shut up and take it. Yeah. That's not fandom.
2: Yeah.
1: That's a you're a cult member at that point in time, right? Like that's yeah. just and that's not okay.
2: And I'll, I'll say this, you know, from a talent standpoint, I think um, I don't know if it, we had this discussion. Oh, someone asked this question the other day. I think that what was the one thing that we overlooked or that we expected to be better that hasn't panned out about this team. And I don't think I took into account, probably because I didn't play the game, I don't think I took into account – the level of experience that's needed at quarterback, like you, you can't substitute just time on campus, being in the film room. Like there is, there is no substitution from being on the field mm-hmm. and playing at that position. It's just not. It's just not. And expecting Tyler Buckner not to be the leader in rush attempts. When you have the running back room, you, I, there's no way I expected that. Yeah. I, I just didn't. So, some things, like I said, you can point to the coaches, and then some things, you know, you just look at the fact that, you know what, maybe I overestimated the lack of experience at this key position and what it entails. But the lack of experience isn't the reason why they're three and three and not five. Right.
1: The lack of experience it's should not, not have it, resulted in a loss of Marshall.
2: Yeah yeah, 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 Right?
1: The yeah. lack of experience should have resulted in a loss to Stanford because the people that are primary drivers of a lot of this stuff are veterans, not younger yeah. players. Yeah. And, and that's my thing is, like, yeah, there's things that we miscalculated, but I think the miscalculations came from because I don't think those players are being put in position to play to their best of I did, I mean, how can I know that the linebackers are across the board going to regress and Foskey's going to regress and Cam Hart's going to regress how, how can I see that? How can I anticipate yeah. that? And that's not, you know, that's not because, oh, well, new coaches and it takes time. It's because you're not putting them in a position to be successful.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, that, that's the reality of it, you know, and, and that's that's the frustrating thing is because. Say...
2: Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. i'll all good, Sean. Go no, ahead. I want to throw in there. It's unfair to Drew Pond. Or if it was Tyler Buckner, still, it's, un- it's unfair not to have 15 on the field. Right. For those, it's just right. unfair. It's unfair to Michael Mayer. Right. You have to constantly face bracket coverages, double team. It's unfair. He right. should if 15's on the field, he does not have, they have to make a choice. Running back shouldn't have to run against eight man fronts. Guess what? If 15's on the field this week, They're going to identify him like, hey, 15's in the slot. That safety's going to back up. He's not going to be so quick to come down here. It's just at some point you're being unfair to the rest of the players on the team. It's it's bigger than just the young man. Right. You're being unfair to the rest of the offensive players.
1: And that's true to a lot of players. It's unfair to the team that you're not using Chris Tyree correctly. Yes. It's unfair. that It's like I, I was getting in this conversation with somebody today. It's like Braden Lindsay's become the new whipping boy. That's on Tommy Reese, not Braden Lindsay. Like guy right. said to me, he drops every pass. I said, he's dropped one pass this year. He's dropped one ball. Right. And that was a drop that was a not a well thrown ball. He dropped one ball. Right. That kid's getting open constantly. Yeah. Right. Now if, now, if they start throwing it to him, he drops it. Cool. We can criticize him. But the, the, there's so much of this, well, he didn't make this play. And my response is, but he shouldn't have been put in position to have to make that play. That's not what he does well. And and I refer back to the first conversation I had with Clark Lee when he was named defensive coordinator. He's talking to me about how he was a meeting with his players, with his coaches, and then they were just kind of talking about, well, this kid can't do that, and this guy can't do that. And he said he said, I had stopped him. And he said, guys, stop telling me what these kids can't do. I'm asking you what they can do, and then we'll we'll build things around that. We'll build things right? around that. And that's how you get Asmar Bilal to go from a kid who just could barely read a defense to having a 10-plus tackle for loss season in his last year because he said, hey, I'm not going to ask Asmar to do this, 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 and this. I'm going to give him this job and say go because that's what I know he can do because he's fast and he can run and he can hit, right? It's like so the light didn't all of a sudden just go on and Asmar could do all the things he couldn't do before. He was yeah. put in a position to say this is what he's good at and this is how we're going to yeah. use him, right? And, and we saw that with him. We saw that. I thought – as the year went on with coach Freeman last year you know his defense evolved as he realized what guys were and we're not good at yeah and and that's what we're not seeing right now we're not seeing enough guys saying hey look this is what Brayden Lindsay's good at chip long had Brayden Lindsay really for one year look what he did with him jet sweeps reverses over routes post routes things where he was using his speed to his advantage and we're not seeing that right now from this from yeah. this crew yeah. And 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 that's the thing is like you know you, oh well this guy stinks uh, okay you know I mean I, I say it again like so so we're gonna we're gonna look at at uh, we're gonna look at at, at Lorenzo Styles and say well he's just not good enough when in reality like all we're asking that Lorenzo Styles does is play like he did the last six games of last year all I'm asking Isaiah Foskey to do is play like he did last year all I'm asking. You know, Cam Hart to do is play like he did last year. I mean, I I didn't realize that was an unfair expectation for people, you know. And, and so those are the things that I look at and I say, you know, we, player. I'm okay faulting players for things. I'm okay with that. That's part of the business, right? It's part right. of the job. Right. But, I, but I'm going to have a hard time doing that when I don't feel that those players are being put in a position to play to their strengths. Saturday was a perfect example from Drew Pine. You he had success for two games in a row and then you put a little bit more on him than he should have been had put on him. Right? And and he didn't execute. And you're not putting the better players on the field. You're not getting you gave him 10 snaps of Debias Merway. They gave him what, like one snap of Dion colsey You know, why why do we have to jump on here and say if you have a quarterback that's that that's inexperienced, and if you have a quarterback that's small and you have a quarterback that doesn't have a big arm and and isn't the most precise, he's not Jimmy Clausen, you know, from an accuracy standpoint, then what do you need to do? Put your giants on the field, yeah. Right, get guys especially moving. Get
2: inside the ten,
1: especially right. right. Get—I mean—is Notre Dame the only team in the country that doesn't think that it's uh, appropriate to try a fade or two into the have? Have they even ran one single fade into the end zone this year? They're always trying to scheme people up instead of just saying, "I got this dude who's better than everybody else," right? And and that's where right. I come down to it. Is like that's why I say this is a coaching issue because. You can't tell me it's a player issue and they don't have the talent when all I'm asking, there's one guy that I've asked that, to, that I've been hammering that needs to be a bigger part of this issue that we hadn't seen prove himself yet, and that was Tobias Merriweather. Everybody else we're talking about, Sean, is we're we're simply asking that they do the things we know that they can do based on what they have already done in a Notre Dame yeah. uniform. Yeah. I'm not asking them to use Braden Lindsey. And turn Braden Lindsay into Will Fuller. We had this conversation on the summer. You say you don't think you can have Wolf. No, I don't think you can have Will Fuller numbers. He's yeah. not an every-down guy. He's not a 50 snap-a-game guy. He's a 30 snap-a-game guy that you use this way. And yeah. they're not using him this way. And how do I know this way works? Because that's the only time he's had success at Notre Dame, is when he's used. In that way. So is that Braden Lindsay's fault? Go back and watch the game on Saturday and you tell me, name me a route that Braden Lindsay ran besides a go route, a hitch route, or a comeback, which is a counter off of a go route. Hardly at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the thing. Now, if you start using him on crossers and overs and drags and and he's dropping the ball, okay. Maybe it's time to find somebody else. If you're if you're running Chris Tyree, the, the run game you're using Chris Tyree for is is mixing inside and out and he's missing cuts and missing the ball and fumbling, you know what? You you called a game that was to his skill set, he didn't execute, move on to somebody else. But when you're using Chris Tyree to just run nothing but a gap runs and and duo and stuff like that, then and he's not lighting the world on fire, don't talk to me about it's a Chris Tyree problem. Right. That's a you problem. And and ultimately, again, this all goes back to Marcus Freeman. He's got to be able to look and say, why is Chris Tyree only running duo, right? Why is Chris Tyree only running out of like thirteen? Per- like, where where was the stuff we saw against Cal, North Carolina, with him? Where'd that go? Why is that not happening? You know, oh, because you have Logan Diggs back now, and you like Logan Diggs better than the other offensive running backs. Okay, fine. Logan Diggs should coming back in the lineup should not be okay. Now take stuff away from him. It's an add on Sean. And that's the thing that bothers me. Yeah. And that's the thing that we're missing. So again, you want to, and that's where, again, coach Freeman step in and say, look, I don't know. I wouldn't want to have to cr- defend Chris Tyree this way. I wouldn't want to have to defend brain Lindsay that way. Yeah. Why are we using him that way? That's how you can help is to say, Hey, as a defensive court. You, you're not an offensive guru. Cool. Okay. Here we go. Coach. Here's what you do. Hey, how would you not want to have to defend Braden Lindsey? What would you not want to see from the offense? What would concern you if you saw them doing that to your defense if you're trying to defend this offense?
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. Right? It's if you're a defense coordinator, I want you to run a duo with Chris Tyree at me all game. Please do that to me. Please do that
2: to me all game. That's why, Shaw, for me to him. that's why David Shaw had the smirk on his face. It was like he he anticipated, like, this is what they're going to do. And he couldn't believe that they kept doing it. Like, oh, my God, they're going to let us sneak out of here with a win with this high school game plan. Like, they're going to let us sneak out of here. He couldn't believe that he was going to be able to sneak out with a win until it went double zero. And it was like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Look, even if the game plan is we want to start out with Chris, he's a starting running back. Go to Logan and then close games out with Audrey. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I would prefer Audrey get some run in the first quarter, but I don't have a problem with that. How about you run Chris outside? How about that against Mix a slow running back and core? How about Mix that? Mix it up. Right. How about that? Mix it up. Right. Takes me back to what? Notre Dame at Purdue, 2016. Dex is having some fumbling problems. They're backed up against the goal line. And Brian Kelly runs inside power with Amir Carlisle out of the end zone. Twice.
3: It's like,
2: what are we doing? He's the smallest dude on the offense. Why are you running inside power with him? Right. And and once again, that, you know who that's unfair to, Brian? Your offensive line. It's unfair to them. It's unfair. Because you're asking them to do all of the work to have a success, successful play. Mm-hmm. As if the other team isn't out there with nine in the box. Here, guys, nine in the box. We're going to give our smallest running back these inside duo runs. Mm-hmm. And
1: see what we can do. So Sean, I think we've kind of we've kind of addressed this. I, I think at the end of the day, I think this took a little bit more of a negative tone than I wanted it to, just because I'm still mad, honestly, and frustrated. Is it negative but though? My tone was like, oh, I, okay. like this the, the topics of the conversation. But the, the point of this as we wrap up was this is a this also presents a tremendous opportunity to coach Freeman that Mm -hmm. if he's willing to take, and look, he can't fix it all in one week. He has to prioritize certain things. Okay. Priority. Number one, this, this is on the field. Bam. Right. We're, we're, we're good there. Then once that's fixed, now let's fix some of these other issues that are, that are going on. And that's what you need to address over the next six weeks, right? Number one is get the offense figured out. This is the directive you need to give, get this figured out. Coach golden, simplify the offense defense. Let's get these kids playing fast again. That's, Priority numero uno, okay? That can be addressed now, this week. Some of the other stuff is going to take more time. So it's kind of about you're not going to fix it all in the UNLV week. But I do believe that if Coach is able to use these next six weeks as opportunities to to make the changes, some of them privately, some of them publicly, and I Mm -hmm. don't mean publicly in front of us, I mean in front of his players, then I think it's an opportunity to say – this is my team. We're going to do it my way. If you want me to do it the way Brian Kelly did it, that then you can transfer to LSU, right? But we're going to do it my way, and that's what I'm saying. And, or, and if you don't like my way, you can go coach at LSU. Both ways, right? Uh, we're going to do this my way. and And, you know, and that doesn't mean you're dictating every little thing. The coaches have to hold their pencils this way. They have to talk this way. You know, there's certain standards that you set. They need to be very clearly defined. And if you don't live up to it, this is what's going to happen. You know, like if you're – like why is it okay for a coach to embarrass a player in front of his entire team, but it's not okay for a head coach to embarrass a coach who's crossing the line in front of the entire team, right? If you want to do that to a player, I'm going to do that to you because I'm the only person that really can. Yeah. Right? And what does that say? What does that say? Right. What does that say to your team? that, Like, hey, this dude. OK. All right. This guy's got our back. Right. And then you turn around and, and the next play, you see a kid not hustling. Then you get on that kid for not hustling. Right. That sends a statement. Hey, this is the standard, everybody. This is the standard, you know, and, and that's what he can do now. If he can do those things now, then it 2020 it, is going to suck no matter what because of the losses they've already had. But if he handles it correctly, what we just went through can be sort of the springboard to the success that he can have, in my opinion. And that's why we wanted to have this conversation. And, yeah, we focus on a lot of the things that are wrong, but it's from the standpoint of if he can address these and fix as many of these things as possible, then that's how he earns the the, the respect of the players yeah. and the coaches. Yeah and say, hey, I'm going to let you coach your way
2: within what I expect from you. And he said it himself. Yo, we beat a 5-1 North Carolina team. We beat a ranked BYU team. We played the way we played against Ohio State. He said, I have a good team. I have good players. But we got to figure this stuff out. We got to figure it out. Right. Why is there inconsistency? What's going on? Why do we struggle to start fast at home? Why, why? And the more you think about it, I hope they don't get over analytical and go even more schematic with it. Right, because like, that that is the right? problem. Yeah, too much of that. Yeah,
1: they don't come into the games confident in what they're doing. Hey, here's what we here's the task at hand. We've repped this plate a hundred thousand times. People ask why why is it wrong to have too much scheme? Well, number one, there is the the notion, Sean, that if I, if I'm just kind of the jack of all trades, masters of none, then I'm not going to play as fast and hard as I could, right? Yeah. The other part of that is is you only have so many reps during the. There's only a, there's a finite number of reps that you can possibly have within the NCA mandated time to have practice. There's only so much film you can watch with your players in in the NCA. And 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 I'm fine. That's one of those rules I'm okay with because. These kids are students. They need to, they need to make sure that their footballs dominate so much of their time anyway that you're not, you know, out there for four-hour practices. Also about player safety. You only do four-hour practices. You don't need to, you know, like there needs to be certain limits to that. Some of it I honestly wish was enforced a little bit more, to be completely honest with you, different conversation for a different day. Yeah. But there's a finite number of reps that you have. And the more volume you have in, the less you can work on each one of those plays which is going to create some of the issues that you have because it's – it's it's er, and it's gotten worse. Like early on, it was like one or two guys here and there. Now it's like three or four guys on each play are playing uncertain. And so it's actually gotten worse as the season's gone on, Sean. And so that's why it is important to scale things back because scaling things back allows, hey, we're, we're going to come out and these kids – that's what the script is, right? It's because those yeah. kids know – Those 15 plays, we've worked in that sequence all week, at least starting on on a Wednesday, and you definitely do it on Thursday, right? But when these kids are coming out uncertain and not playing fast, not playing with urgency, like I was glad to hear – I was glad to hear, was it Coach Freeman? Who was talking about – was it Coach Freeman talking about no urgency? There's no urgency. Was it him that talked about that on Monday? I was glad to hear that. Yeah. it's like we've been saying that for a while. This offense plays with no urgency whatsoever. And and that's the thing that, that hurts you. And so those things have to get addressed. Those things can get addressed right now. Because honestly, Sean, I don't think it's just the offense that comes out and doesn't play well early. I don't think the defense has
2: played all that well early either. Dude, I, I totally agree. I go back to my days, right? Like someone in the chat said it. I think you said it earlier. Talent dictates – No, you you retweeted and commented under a photo of a quote from Bill Belichick. Yes, and what he said about coaching and coaching to your talent, and it made me think about uh, when I played high school basketball. We were a really small team, but we had five we had five plays out of the same offensive set. You know what our game plan every game was: defend full court, gang rebound and run Mm -hmm. not only was that our game plan but we ran for two weeks we ran the stairs of the school and ran the track and did sprints before we even touched the basketball it was ingrained in us like we're going to run all game long because that's the way we have to win with our talent we don't have someone we could dump it into we don't have a big guy that we can depend on to rebound. Everybody has to do everything. And if we don't get a layup or we don't get something quick, we have five plays to go to out of the same set. That's it. We're not about to go big scheme and try to trick teams. No. This is what we do, and our sets are going to use our quickness. Very simple. And we won games because even though we were smaller, we were talented in certain areas, and we play to those areas. You have to do the same thing. Believe in the talent right. on this team. Like, I'm tired of hearing there is no speed at the wide receiver core. There is no talent at the wide receiver core. I'm tired of hearing that. I'm tired of it. I have an no article awesome coming out of that to a little bit, Sean. Oklahoma State's a pretty good defense, right? Jim Knowles is a pretty good coordinator, right? Lorenzo Styles lit their butts up. Did he not? Right. What happened? Did he all of, a, all of a sudden become a worse player?
1: Um, two, two Notre Dame players had 100 yards receiving that game that are on the current roster.
2: So what happened? What happened? They can't do that against Marshall. They can't do that against Cal. Stanford. They can't do that against Stanford. It's not a shock that with two plays left or thirteen seconds left in the half, it's not a shock. Brady Lindsay got behind the Marshall safeties. That's not a shock to me. They were squatting all game. It's not a shock. You could have done that yep. earlier in the half, or just make just complete the pass. Yeah, that's not Brady Lindsay's fault. All of yep. these things, play to your talent and stop making people feel like there is no talent. Stop. No one is saying you have Alabama talent. No one is saying you have Georgia talent. No one is saying you have Ohio Ohio State talent. You got Notre Dame talent, though. Yep. And Notre Dame talent is top ten talent in the nation on an annual basis.
1: Sean, you talk about the offense starting slow. Let's remind people that Notre Dame has given up a touchdown on defense in the first possession in two of the last three games. Yeah. And the stop on the first drive against Marshall was because the quarterback missed a wide open receiver on a slant route. Absolutely. It wasn't Notre Dame stopping that. No. I mean, and they started hitting that stuff later, and yeah. they started moving the ball. Yeah. But they have been great early on either. Now they've settled in after, you know, certain, you know, because, but again, it's, it's, it's more of a talent thing than it has been anything else. And that's the the frustrating thing about this. Like, yeah, you don't have speed of receiver the way that you're using your receivers or coaching your receivers or installing your game plan where your kids don't have confidence. They're going to be able to go out and do what they can do. Right. And so, you know, I just, it, it, it can be fixed. It needs to be fixed. And if he's able to fix it, I think that's where Marcus Freeman starts to say, Hey, look, this is, this is my team. This is where we're going to be. It, it takes time to, for, for any coach, honestly, Sean, to, you know, kind of step in and say, okay, this is, this is my program, especially hard when you replace a coach who wasn't fired, but, but was left after success. Yeah. Perceived success and real success, both of it, just depend on perceived. Meaning he was the reason for it. So that to me is my thing. Is is if he can fix this, then all of a sudden the program truly becomes his, in my opinion. Because fixing it is going to let people know, like this is this is what we're going to do now. This is who Notre Dame is going to be under me. I don't care what it was like under Brian Kelly or Lou Holtz. I'm not them. I'm mm-hmm. me. And if you're going to coach for me or play for me, this is what the expectation is. And as you said, he doesn't need to to change himself. I think he has gone away from who he is. He needs to go back to being who he is. When he was a defensive coordinator, it was very much, you're going to coach this this way. You're going to coach this this way. This is exactly how I want things done. It's no different as being a head coach. It's just different aspects. You're not now emphasizing this is exactly how I want the cornerback technique taught right but there's but you can say hey your responsibility is getting them to play this way yeah and so here's why i think we're not playing that way because you're doing this and that's too much here's on offense why i think you're struggling because of of this and you you fix those things and all of a sudden your your team starts playing because as soon as that confidence as soon as it the like, as soon as these as soon as lorenzo styles is finally start putting in a position where he's successful and and they start really kind of making him more of a focal point of what they're doing and using him in the ways that are successful and then not giving him a lot of stuff. He's still just a sophomore. Then all of a sudden his confidence gets up. You start using Braden Lindsey on things and he knows he can do well. His confidence gets up. Chris Tyree, now all of a sudden you got a really confident football team and now you can beat anybody left on your schedule because that's the frustrating thing. If you can play with Ohio State for four quarters and smash North Carolina, you can play with anybody else you have left on your schedule. Anybody, uh, talent wise. So the don't score, talk to me about talent.
2: The, the score of the North Carolina game was not indicative
1: of how bad no. they beat North Carolina. That should have been sixty-two to seventeen, easy. So, and you missed, ta- you missed chance after chance after chance of going up two scores on Ohio State in that game. Yeah. But yet, I'm supposed to believe the talent is the reason that they can't beat. Stanford and Marshall. you got outplayed more by Marshall than you did Ohio State and so I'm supposed to believe that's a talent problem right you got more outplayed by Stanford than you did Ohio State and I'm supposed to believe that's a talent problem you know no do you, you know that right Notre Dame tr- led Ohio State for m- longer than Ohio State led Notre Dame. Notre Dame led Stanford for one possession one possession. Stanford scored in their first drive of the game, their first drive, and they had a lead until Tobias's touchdown in the fourth quarter. And I'm supposed to think that's a talent problem. I'm supposed to think that's Drew Pine's problem. The the, the Drew Pine who, three weeks before, went on the road and ripped up North Carolina, (laughs) whose defense is no worse than Stanford's. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah, that's a coaching problem, not a player problem. Now, execution is a a player result, but as a former coach, I'm going to tell you right now, when my players keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again and I'm still blaming them, I suck as a coach. That's on me. That's fair. That's on me. That's fair. And that's why I disagree with the alums who are saying if somebody misses a tackle or whatever, is that a coaching problem? When it keeps happening, yes. It is. If if Marist Leuphile goes out and misses a tackle, freaking Laronitis and all golden suck suckers linebacker coach, I'm being an irrational person. When Marist and JD and Jack and the safeties and the corners are doing it game after game after game after game, when teams know on third down they can beat you on a slant route game after game after game, yeah, that's a coaching problem. 100% that's a coaching problem. When you can't score on the in the first quarter of every single game, two fluke plays are the only reason they got the six points. They got a fifty-four yard game because the Ohio State guy took a bad angle to the ball and let Lorenzo Saus get free for fifty-four yards, and an intercept—not fluke play, like big yeah. play from another. You know, you had the interception against Treek Bracy, which gave you a short field, which is the only reason you got the field goal against BYU. Yes, that's a coaching problem. Yes, yeah. if a quarterback misses a throw, that's not a co- coaching problem. When a co- well. quarterback continues to make mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, uh, yeah, that's a coaching problem. When a receiver regresses from last season, yeah, that's a coaching problem. When you're not using a guy in ways that he was successful in the past, yeah, that's a, and he's not playing well, yeah, that's a coaching problem. 100%. 100%. So, yes, spare me the whole, if a guy makes a mistake, does that mean it's a coaching problem? When it becomes systemic, yes, that's a coaching problem. And every good coach should be the first one to own that every single one. And if, and here's the thing, if I'm Marcus Freeman, this is another great opportunity. I didn't think about this, Sean. I'm going to find out who I, who I can roll with moving forward. That that's, that's a big thing. Cause if I come to you and I'm asking you what's going on and all you're telling me is what they're not doing, I'm listening. Okay. I got you. Okay, cool. You walk out the room, make a note. Uh, Find a new such and such coach in the offseason. Yeah. Because I yeah. can't roll with you. It's like, dude, yeah. who was it? Was it you that brought up the Mike Singletary thing the other day? Was it Ryan? Yes. Can't win them. Can't, 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 can't do it. Can't do it. Right. Because if you're going to say it's their fault, I'm not rolling with you anymore. Right. I'm yeah. not rolling with you anymore. Right. If you're going to tell me, well, Drew just missed all these reads. Uh, mm, okay. Right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rolling with you
2: anymore. Like, right. like you said, you talked about the difference between players that have been here, players that are accepting of what's being asked, right? You question on one hand, where, where is Isaiah Foster? Right. Where is this guy? But then you look and say, darn, Nana's playing really good right now. Man, Nana's getting better. Man, Chris Smith is getting better. He's mm-hmm. really strong at the point. Gabriel Rubio, he's bad, he's battling. Like you can see with each rep, he's getting better. Riley Mills. He's playing really good right now. Right? Oh, snap. Al Golden said he's about to rev up Jason Anye. I'm excited mm-hmm. to see that. Yeah. Because he must, be, he must be getting better. Like, so as much as you can say, well, these guys aren't doing this, when you see youngsters right. getting better. And proven now is playing better than he played under the previous regime. He's getting better. Might have had his his best game. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh,
1: by far. I mean, he was. Sean, there's two plays where if he he doesn't make that play, it's at least a big play. And one of them was from the back freaking side. Now, here's the problem with that is the two ends who are playing the best right now, other than Justin Adam Mule, are both big ends. Yeah. So it's hard to – because I thought Riley also played great against Stanford. He did. So it's like you're in a pickle where it's like, well, I, I can't play both of them at the same time. <laughs> right. Right? Um, You know, but maybe this week would – if Jason doesn't play this week, I wouldn't mind seeing Riley a little bit more inside, inside. playing them together a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but, you know – Especially
2: with Chris, Chris Smith at the point. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. But maybe it's time to give Justin Adamiola more run at, at Viper. Yeah. And see what, see how Isaiah responds to it. Hey, Isaiah, who do you want to be, man? Right. Because your draft stock's taking a hit. But you know what? You can get it back when we play Clemson and BC and Syracuse and USC. You can get it back. Right. But man, I, I got to see that dog again, buddy. I got to see it again. And, you know, that's the thing. So, like. That's the thing you look at and you say okay, is that a leadership problem? Is that a player problem? Is that a defensive coordinator problem? Is that a D-line coach problem? So yeah, we need to be willing to have some nuance to this stuff, Sean. And every time a player does something bad, it's not a coaching problem. But we're not doing that. That's lazy yeah. analysis. We're not doing that. And we're not doing that brain Lindsey. We're not we're not the, we're not in that crew of, "Oh, he dropped the pass against Marshall. He's a bum. Throw him out." We're not doing that yeah he should have made that play but we also saw him get open for what should have been about 150 other yards of, of yards in that game he get the ball yeah. I said, hmm so <laughs> on straight go routes against press coverage a 5 185 guy that his particular skill set it's not that great but when he does this he gets open a lot hmm maybe i should use him more over here
3: yeah
1: that's a coaching problem that's a coaching thing and and so you know that that's 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 where we're at. You know, hey, we're not getting separation, maybe because you just do nothing but stop routes all day. And then when you do other things, you're asking guys to do those things. You shouldn't do it. So anyway, that's where Coach Freeman is at. I think that if he's able to kind of step up to the to this and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to fix this. The players see it. Things start to change. That's how he wins this locker room back, because I do believe, Sean, it will be much easier for him, because sometimes a coach, if you lo- once you lose the locker room, you never get it back. I think Marcus Freeman is in is the enviable position of he is someone who's liked so if he does if he does say something we're going to do this we're going to do that I think the players will will listen yeah. as long as it's backed up by by actions I do think it'd be much easier for him to heal what's broken right now than it would be for Brian Kelly who didn't have that same respect in the locker room I, that's my two cents. I'm not sure if you if you agree with that or not. Well, sure. I
2: agree with that. I agree with that. It goes back to the point that you made that, you know, initially, um unknowingly, it might end up being a negative that he was beloved by his players. Right. You know, and they kind of maybe the players let their guards down. Right. Exactly. So like, okay, we'll draw from this source now, instead of really drawing from myself. Because remember, I told you when I talked to the coaches back in March, the first time they met with the media the coaches are like, we get our energy from them.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They're the ones that have been to the college football playoff.
3: Mm-hmm. We're
2: the new guys. Like We're following them. We're following their expectations. And that hasn't matched up. What we've seen, especially from specific guys that are leaders, we haven't seen that urgency. That we thought they would play with or the level of excellence that we thought they would play with. So, like you said, ten and two, nine and three, it's all good. You know, if you told me ten and two without a bowl win, or nine and three with a, a decisive bowl win at the end of the year, I'll take the nine and three with the bowl win. It's still possible. Like let's let's go. And this is the thing. This is the one thing I feel good about, Brian. They're going to show up against Clemson and USC. Yeah. I feel good about that. Because that's the
1: evidence we've seen. They've shown that's right. up and that's right. Now yes. I will say this. I will say this. There comes a point, however, when things have gone bad enough long enough that yeah. we don't see that.
2: We let go of the rope. Yeah.
1: That's the only danger. But if if yeah. they're the same team they've been, then yes, they will show up for those games. There's no doubt. Yeah. They yeah. will show up for Syracuse, just if like they, they did beat, for North Carolina. If they
2: beat Syracuse, they're definitely going to show up for Clemson. Sure. Sure. Agree. Will they win? That that Clemson's gonna have something to say about that. Right. Right. But they're gonna show up. And they are
1: there's still a level of execution that's needed, and yeah. the game plan still can't suck and all. But no. they'll be ready to play, they'll be mentally ready to play that game. Yeah. Don't worry about Isaiah Foskey being locked in for that game. No. You know, it's it's some of those other ones. But that's the thing, you you need to have a, a heart check, right, with your with your team.
3: Yeah.
1: And and you need to have a a, a attitude check with your coaches. That's what Marcus Freeman needs to do.
3: Yeah.
1: Look, I'm going to have y'all's back and I'm going to handle this over here.
3: Yeah.
1: What I need you to do is stop pouting, get out your feelings, and follow me. Yeah. Right. And and I say the same thing to the coaches. I don't care if you like what I'm saying. This is what we're going to do. If you don't like it, you know, you can leave. Right. 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 Um, I mean, because honestly, like let's hypothetically, I'm just let's say the offense quarter's like, No, I'm not doing that. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Hey Jared, Dylan, come over here. Uh, mm-hmm. you guys are running the offense from now on. Yeah. If Coach yeah. Old Golden didn't want to do what Coach Freeman said, and I and I'll Al Golden does not strike me as someone who would if the coach said do this, he gonna like, no, he doesn't strike me like that. Like, yeah, he doesn't, but it just hypothetically did. Oh, okay. Who's running the defense? Uh I I am. <laughs> a defense as the as Marcus Freeman. You're like, look, look bro, defense was yeah. better last year than it is right now. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like uh against a better schedule. So um yeah, here we go. Yeah. So I hope it doesn't ever come to that. But I'm just saying like if that's what's needed, then that's what's needed because you need to save the locker room first. That's yeah. your priority number one. You go get a new staff a whole lot easier than you can replace a roster. Whole lot easier. Right? And so uh, that's what I that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see. So Sean, that's going to do it for this portion of the show. We do have a couple questions that we're going to get to. We're not going to have a full mailbag today, so we're not going to completely break that up. But we did have some we did have some super chats that I did want to get to as well uh, before we do get out of here. Milton fan 15 says, I, I, I feel we may differ, but I feel Al Golden's defense is overly criticized by IB. They have held every team under their average and out in and, and, and put their a position to win. How do you know that they've held every team under their average? because I wrote that article last week defending the defense. I really don't know what you're talking about here, okay I'm the one that has said this defense has been put them in position where every game. I'm the one that pointed out last week that they held every opponent they played including Stanford to at least 8.8 points below their season scoring average and all but Marshall to over 100 yards below their season yards average. So I don't know what you're talking about. But playing well enough to win is not playing to your potential. There's a big difference there. And this is a channel that's not going to just accept, well, they've held them on eight. If you've held every opponent to eight points below their scoring average, but you should have held them all 15 points below your scoring average, then I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that. So I'm sorry, but no, they're not being overly criticized by Irish Breakdown because we have said many times, that this defense is playing well enough to win. But they did not play well against Stanford. They did not. And there yeah. are certain issues that have persisted the entire season that have yet to be addressed. That needs to be discussed. Are we saying they're 3-3 three three because of the defense? Those words have literally never come out of our mouths. We have said, if anything, they are – the defense has played well enough for them to be at least 5-1, and one, if not 6-0. and zero. Yeah. But that still doesn't mean it's perfect – And everything is wonderful because the defense has had opportunities to make stops in the fourth quarter of every single game that they've played that they've lost and they've failed to do so. They had a lead in the fourth quarter. They had a a Marshall They had a lead in the fourth quarter against Stanford and the defense gave up points, not the offense, the defense. So they're not blameless here either. And they're not playing to the standard that we've seen in recent years on defense.
2: They're not. Got anything to add to that, Sean? Nope, I don't think uh, we can say anything else. I'll, I'll say this: you could do it one of two ways. You can say, "Man, they were missing two of their guys in the secondary, two of their main guys," or you can say, "Wow, you take those two guys away, and that's how you play." Right? So that's that's when you needed Clarence Lewis and Cam to step up. Right. Saturday. You need them to step up. And how is Treek Bracy
1: going to stop? The shovel pass (laughs) that they can. How is Tariq Bracey going to stop the power O that they kept running down Notre Dame's throat, right? So, you know, Stanford is not good. Yeah. They're not good. I'm sorry. And how
2: long are you going to let them mesh? What? You're about to just sit here and hold this ball in front of me? Right. And no one's going to wreck it? Tackle for right. loss, anything, huh? Okay. Stanford
1: also had their own sh- fair share of missed opportunities on Saturday as well. Oh man. Patrick McGrain with a super chat. Thank you, Patrick. Imagine how good seven would be in the second half if the D was tired from chasing 25 and 3 from sideline to sideline and everywhere else in the field. That's a great point. And that's why I kind of like the way they were using the running backs the first couple games, right? It was it was Tyree early against Carolina and 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 Cal. You mixed in a little bit of Audrick in the first half against Cal, and then then more Logan in the first half against North Carolina, and and Chris was having success, and then that opened up other things. He was getting outside. He was catching the ball. And then you were using him in certain ways that set up other things, and then all of a sudden, bam, just like that, it's, okay, let's turn him into Jerome Bettis. Right. (laughs) You know? And it just it makes no sense. Yeah. It makes no sense. Jim Halloran with a super chat. Thank you, Jim. If Marcus Freeman loses the locker room, how many players do we lose to the transfer portal? Jim, I'm I'm not going to really address that. I'm hoping none. I mean, you know, because he lost the locker room, there's going to be guys transferring, and some guys honestly should transfer. You know, there's going to be some veterans bearing the depth chart, and they're just not going to get their chance to play. They're going to have their degree, and it's just time to move on, right? Like, that's okay.
3: okay. Like, you never
1: heard me criticize uh, Dell Alexander because Micah Jones transferred. He stayed, he got his degree, couldn't beat certain guys out. It is what it is, and, and it was right. It was time for him to move on. I'm going to treat that differently than I'm going to treat some of the other departures that they've had. So I think those are those are kind of things. But I'm, this is why we're having this conversation, because I'm hoping that this can get averted, right? And and look, when you're losing, there's always going to be frustrated people that are going to be maybe a guess it's like this. If I'm a player, Sean, and I'm sitting there on the bench and the guy in front of me is dominating and we're a good team, I'm going to be more willing to accept that. Right. Right. That's Bama players are only OK with that because they know that they're going to get their shot down the road. And they, they understand the guy in front of me is playing pretty well and we're winning. Yeah. Right. But when the guy in front of you is not playing well and you guys are losing to Marshall and Stanford and you're, right. you know, barely beating Cal and BYU. Like, right. I play better than that. Right. You know, and, like,
2: well, we got to trust him. And with Go the ahead. modern day transfer portal, Bama has seen more defections. Right. Than normal. Right. You know. Right. So. It comes with the territory, right? That's, that's called being a really good program. Right. Right. (sighs) Oh, oh,
1: frustrating. Uh, USMA 87 mailbag question. You mentioned styles likes energy on some plays. Do you think he learned it from Austin last year? No, I don't think so. I just think he's not a confident kid. He's not a happy or confident kid right now is what I think it is. Uh, I don't think he learned that from, from Kevin Austin.
3: All good points.
1: Patrick Bird says, was the player's hatred for Kelly so deep it motivated them where this team is lost without that type of motivation? We did talk about that a little bit earlier, Sean. I think that speaks to your point of, you know, the players. I think the player, the fact that the players did like Marcus Freeman, they did look to him more for certain things. You know, yeah, whereas uh, yeah, before it's like, weird. we know he's not, he's not even around. We know he, he's not even around. We got to be the right. ones that do this. Right. You know, right. and it's, you know, it's not the case anymore.
2: That's why I place a lot more responsibility on guys like Jared Patterson and Isaiah Foskey, like, dude, come on, man. You know, right. you know, not the false start. You yep. go on the first play of the game, you know better than that. Isaiah Foskey, you know how to rush the passer. Like Al Washington has zero to do with you rushing the passer. When you, right. when you're That's zero. I don't care what's different. You spent enough time here at Notre Dame to know how to get to the quarterback. Right. Come on. Right.
1: Uh, We have a question from Ryan Roberts. Ryan asked, Brian, who is your favorite employee at Irish Breakdown? It's Sean, clearly. I mean, (laughs) come on, Ryan. Of course you know the answer to that.
2: (laughs) Um, um, uh, My answer would be Angela. Angela. Well, she's not I, an employee of Irish Breakdown. I consider Angela an employee with okay. everything that she does to help with Irish okay. Breakdown. So yeah. that would be my my my. I would life. say
1: she's more co-CEO than anything. Well, there you, you go. Know? So that's still yeah. My answer. Yeah, that's <laughs> good one, Sean. This is why you've that's been married as long life. as you have been. Tyler Evans with a super chat. Thank you, Tyler. Stanford put the ball on the ground, but Notre Dame t- could not recover the fumbles. Yeah, that was frustrating.
3: Yeah. You know, go, but some I'll, of that's just I'll,
1: breaks. I, I mean, yeah. I. Like none of those were plays where I felt like, man, that guy was in position and he scooped, tried to scoop it instead of falling on it, and it, it just, it just ball didn't bounce your way. And that, and I mean, Sean, did you feel like any of those ones were, were ones where, um, boy, they should have made that play?
2: No, I think one of them was uh, clearly the offensive lineman from Stanford saw it hit the ground before everyone else, and you know the other one was just. Unfortunately, it bounced the way that it bounced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we couldn't hop. We couldn't get on it. Yep. Yeah. Here's uh,
1: Irish Mojo 25 Brian, do you have an extra 20 hours a week? Tommy did leave it open for the offensive analyst. Um, I would do it for free, but I can assure you that Tommy Reese has no interest in having me uh, around the program <laughs> in any way, shape, form, or former fashion. <laughs> I can assure you of that. Uh, there's no question about it. So, oh,
3: man, I don't
1: think uh, he yeah. would want anybody on the IB staff. That's- no, <laughs> no, no, he is not. No, he's not. Kurt Prather says, Brian and Sean, is this the result of a vacuum from Kelly leaving and Freeman being so new that he didn't see this coming, not know what the answers were to fix? It looks also obvious to us on TV. I do think some of this stuff caught Marcus Freeman by surprise. I do, and that's expected. Mm-hmm. That's expected, and I think that's why I'm so disappointed in the culture issue that's going on. Because the culture could have saved some of that stuff, could have fixed some of that stuff, and and still you 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 still get that ugly win over Marshall, you still get that ugly win over Stanford, and then you you know you got time to fix it where it's not everything is going bad. But I but I yeah. but I just think that that some of the stuff we've seen, yeah, I, I do I I think some of us caught him off guard. But I think some of it is is his own doing to the degree that he gave too much autonomy to the, all the coaches. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm coming from on that one, Sean. And before we, before we go, Sean, uh, Ryan said, okay, here we go. Ryan Roberts said, okay, last question. If you had to host Brian Kelly for dinner, uh, what would you prepare, prepare for his meal?
0: I'm not
1: going to, I'm not going to touch that one, Sean liver. I would find out whatever his least favorite food is. And I was made and make it for him. Um,
2: Mine liver's disgusting to me, so okay. I liver's everybody- what I
1: give my dogs, so yeah, there you go. Well, no, but I love my dogs, so I don't know if I would do that, so uh, but no, yeah, they're, they're dogs, so yeah. But here, Sean, I wanted to discuss this before we go. Jeff Fluke brought this up. He said, what's the difference between a streaker at an NFL game versus a fan storming the field after a win? Both trespass onto a field. This is in reference to the thing, the situation with um. With uh, Jermaine Burton from Alabama, or I guess he punched a girl. I mean, I saw the video. It didn't look like necessarily a punch, but it was definitely a she struck her, you know, Uh, and uh, obviously it's kind of blowing up and a lot of people are frustrated. And look, my whole thing is I'm not defending Jermaine Burton or attacking Jermaine Burton because. I saw the little clip. I don't know the context. I don't know if somebody was calling him names and it was coming right behind her, and he thought it might have been her. I don't know what the circumstances were. If all he did was just sucker punch some girl, he's done. I mean, you just you can't do that. However, this is why, as much as I enjoy watching a good field storming, there need to be some serious rules put in place on 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 that, and and uh, because number one, it's for player safety it takes one out of the 10,000 people storming the field to do something to just be drunk or stupid, to do something stupid. Like Sean, look, I'm gonna tell you right now, I don't care if I have a helmet on or not. If I see 10,000 drunk people running at me and let's be honest, most people at football games tend to be drunk, especially students after, and I'm on an opposing crowd after they've been yelling insults and stuff at me all game, I'm not just going to assume they're coming on the field with, with good intentions. Number one, I mean, you remember the time, the, the, the year that Larry Bird, the first time Larry Bird won a title and he's running off the field, like throwing blows, trying to get people. So he's trying to get to the locker room. You remember that? Right. <laughs> so, like, um, you came into their domain, right? Like, we talk about the malice in the palace it was such a horrible thing because the players went into the stands. It was so wrong, right? Well, this is the thing is you came into their domain. These kids have been battling for three hours. You're now coming into their domain. That's not okay, right? I'm not justifying what he did because I need to see the whole context of what he did. If all he did was sucker punch some girl, you got to go. It's not okay, right? And and I'm honestly, I'm not okay with him doing it in any circumstance, but the severity of this punishment is, or how I'm going to view it is going to be determined by the context of everything going on, right? And I just don't know enough about that right now. But, the, the problem is this fan storming the field thing is going to end up really bad at some point in time. Somebody's going to get hurt. Either some fan's going to walk up to the wrong player in the wrong mood, and let's be honest, there's a lot of players that play college football. that only takes one punch for them to do serious damage to somebody, and then somebody's yeah. life is jacked up, and then that kid's life is jacked up, and there's just nothing good that comes out of it. We can We can say... Storm the field, but wait till the other team gets into the locker room or gets yeah. off the field. Right? Got to yeah. be the case. It's got to be the case. And I think part of that is get rid of. Po- I mean, if you're going to allow this and justify this, then you almost have to get rid of post game handshakes. Yeah. And I don't like that because I like the sportsmanship that that shows of two That's players, true. two teams that have battled for three hours, showing a mutual respect for each other afterwards. But if we're gonna keep, I mean, because we've I've seen a, a I'm. There's been a ton of storming the fields this year. Like, games that, like, I'm like, why is that? Why is you? Didn't Utah storm yeah. the field against USC this week?
2: You've beat yes. USC three the last four years. What the hell are you storming the field for against USC? Yeah. You know? Oh, you know me. You know how I feel about it. I think it's lame. If, especially if you're a top program. Like, right. If you're a top program, you should expect to be. Sure. That's like Duke storming the floor right. in basketball. Like, Really? you storming the floor for what? You beat right. everybody. There's a time and a place for it. I, I
1: didn't mind it when the Notre Dame fans stormed the field against Clemson in 2020. You hadn't won a game like that in a long time, right? But like, but oh, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, general, I like, I enjoy watching it. I just think it either needs to end or there need to be very severe consequences if you enter the field before the opposing team has left the locker room, left the field.
3: Yeah. Just
1: because of the potential. I mean, and we're not talking about this is a very minor thing. She she seems to be fine from the article I read, and she, I mean, obviously, she's a little traumatized. We got punched in the face, but like, there's no long term injuries to her from what I understand. And I don't think she That's was knocked not- down.
2: No, she kept moving.
1: Like right, she barely stopped
2: so, celebrating. Right, the video is grainy. <laughs> Alcohol um, do that to you, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it probably
1: hurt a lot yeah, more when, yeah, you, when the alcohol wore on her system.
2: My my thing with this is that it's a coaching uh, situation for him. Right. Well, the coach is to say, hey, come on, you got to show a little bit better restraint. We know right. you really didn't sure. punch her, or, you know, you probably were just trying to move her out of your way because right. initially she was right in front of you as you were walking, mm-hmm. and then she kind of moved to the side, and you were just trying to help her in the same direction. So you could go on to the locker room, but you know, still just don't do that. Right. Don't put your hands on a fan in any way, shape or form. Unless, unless you feel like you're, you're in danger. Now, if you feel like you're in danger, protect yourself. That wasn't that situation. No, you know, you did not feel in danger from that girl. No. no. And if you feel like she said something or whatever, or just irritated you and you felt like, no, just, just ignore Keep walking, and you won't have to deal with this. As far as everybody trying to blow this up, relax. Like, it's not that serious. Like, she wasn't assaulted, in my opinion. Like, I'm sure technically he put her hands on her, so technically you probably could get an assault charge. Right. But she, no harm. She continued to party. And whoever it, took there's the There's a difference
1: in something that's inappropriate. And like yeah. you
2: said, Sean, he was
1: wrong wrong, but it's being made to be something that, like, he, the kid was arrested. That I read that he was arrested, yeah, absurd.
3: Yeah, however, you, know that, you
1: that's look,
2: that's parents getting involved. See, that's right. what that is. Not well, that got kid to may make some it. money someday, exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah, that's the type of foolishness that's getting involved now.
3: Like,
1: man, stop, miss me with that. But, but here's the thing though it, it the reason I'm bringing it up is not because I think that situation was big. But as we're seeing this happen more and more and more, and I'm seeing more and more young people looking to provoke.
3: Yeah,
1: that's what's happening. You're gonna you're having people looking to provoke incidents. Yeah. Saw this at Texas Tech, right? Okay. When they stormed the field after beating Texas, something bad's gonna happen,
3: yeah.
1: right? Because the the a problem we have is there's too many people that, that that especially young people, and I think this has always been true of young people, but I think it's even more so now. They think they live in a world without consequences. And and they can just say and do whatever they want, and there's no consequences. And, and there are. And you're gonna see lives get ruined as this continues. And and as much fun as it is to watch, and as cool as it is, you just you just you got you can't have it, man. You just can't yeah. have it. You, you, because somebody's gonna get hurt bad. And this this girl didn't, and but For all, I mean, who knows what this is going to do to Jermaine Burton's career, depending on how – you know how once the media gets hold of a narrative, you know how that's going to go, right? Let's be honest, how he looks and how she looks, it's going to only feed that narrative. Let's be real about that too, Sean. You know, so, I mean, that's that's where we're at. So, it just – it needs to stop or they need to at least say, if you come onto the field before the other team is off the field, you will be arrested. And you all have cameras. We have cameras too we're like filming that. every single person that comes on the field. I'm saying there's a cop because the co- cops can't stop 10,000 people from rushing the field. Right. But they can sit there with their cameras and film every single person that gets on the field. Mm-hmm. And it'd be real easy for them to figure out who came on there and find them $10,000 each. You'll get fined $10,000 each. Or the schools say, if you step on the field, you, are, you will be kicked out of school. Yeah. If you're a student, so a, a normal fan, $10,000 fine. If you're a student and you come on the field before the other team is left, we will see it because we're going to have faculty or we have staff and police there with cameras filming everyone that comes
2: on the field. We will identify you and you will be removed from the school. Let's be real. This is college football where fan bases are allowed to shake the buses of the opposing team while the team is on the bus. So let's – this is the culture, so you're cool with that to right. intimidate the opposing team coming into right. the game. But we really want to go out and post this video like it's, it's and, so egregious. And, and that it's, was
1: back to Jeff Fluke's original question: Why, once a game is over, it's okay for people to run the field, but if right. you run on the field during a game, you get tackled, slapped get up, tackled. and arrested? Yeah, right. Why is it different? Yeah. Yeah. It's either okay or not. It's like, look, there are states in this country, I live in one, where if you come onto my property and threaten me, I have a right to put you down. Right? Like, now, this that's an extreme example, but that's not your domain as a fan. Players should not be going up into the stands, right? And fans should not be coming down on the field. You stay in your lane, I'm going to stay in mine, Right? And you can cheer and you can slap hands and all that kind of stuff, but you're gonna end up ruining it for everybody. Because the truth and of the matter
2: is the fans coming onto the field is an attack to the safety of the players. Correct. Because put you yourself can't, in their you, shoes. You can't control that. The university can't control that. And that's a liability. Right. If something happens to one of those players and those players sue the university, I will sue and that the person. Crap. I would sue the crap out of that school. Yes. Then what? Yes, if someone drops a pom pom or bumps into a kid and messes up his knee and impacts right. his football career, then what? Trying to storm right. the field,
1: right? Then what? But you're—it's just—it's going to cross a line where some kid is going to do something to a player. The player's going to retaliate. His teammates are going to see what's going on, and they're going to go to the—you know what I mean—and it's just going to—it's going to get bad. And, and, no, it hasn't happened yet, but it takes one instance. That's it. Right? And, like, the thing with the Pacers, right, in Detroit. That's only happened once, but we'll never forget it. And We'll never look at that the same, right? I mean, the guys are involved in that, Ron Artest, you know, he's not going to be known for whatever he did as a basketball player. But when you bring up his name, what's the first thing, one, one of the first things people think about? Same with Steven Jackson and a lot of those other guys involved. Oh, that that's that's Catherine Malice in the palace, right? So it's just it's just it. it um, unfortunately, it's that way. But you know, I uh I think I your idea yeah.
2: your idea of allowing a team, especially if you're kneeling in victory formation and the clock is running down, if the coaches want to shake hands at the middle field, the coach has. Dude, Nick Saban had like four K right. troopers and yes, security. Yes, they have security. Yep. out the players don't have security, right? You know, let like, man. If I'm the coach, this is it. Coach, this is my protection right here. That's it. That's all I got. The, yes. With thirty seconds, get into the locker room. Go on the road, especially if I know they're about to storm the field. Go right. All that shaking right. hands in the middle field, no. Right
1: before go. the other team takes a knee. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Go. Right. So I mean, it, it sucks that we're here, right? So like, if if we stop you and you're yeah. about to take a knee, let the the whole rest of the team go, go, right? And that's it. That's, the that's I mean, of that's,
2: it. that's the only way to really combat it. You have to look out for your athletes as a head coach, right. And as Nick Saban, you know, and I'm not blaming Nick Saban, but Nick Saban knew they were about to storm the field. Sure, he knew it was Alabama. Right. Anybody beats Alabama at home, that's storming the field. Right. So for them, it should be already in place. Like, look, it, at halftime, they took Bryce Young down a totally separate tunnel yeah. than the rest of the team. If you were watching the broadcast, it was like, I don't know if that was for medical purposes or to t- get him closer to the training room or whatever, but he went down a so totally separate tunnel.
1: Yeah. The rest, Somebody it, it, brought up too, Sean. We forgot. But you remember the, the the Legarrette Blunt
2: situation? Yeah, Boise State, Oregon. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah.
2: That's 2000, nothing. 2009.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. When he was at Oregon, yeah. you can't have that kind of stuff. But the it thing is, like, do. don't don't come into my space. Right. You don't belong here. You don't belong right. in my space. Just like I like. Well, how would you feel if a uh, uh, Fan was yelling something ignorant to a player, and every time they did, the player just ran up in the stands and got in their face. Like, man, what's yeah. wrong with that guy? Right? You don't belong up there. That you know what I mean? Like that? You're supposed to deal with that, right? I mean, right. no. So you, you don't want to get boy. dropped. You don't want to get yeah. hurt. You don't get hit in the face. Yeah. Don't come into my territory. Yeah. After I just played my left uh, player. Uh, you ever been a player? If you have ever been a player or coach, you know what that's like. You've been battling for three, yeah. After three yeah. hours. Yeah. You know, you've been fighting, scrapping, clawing for three hours and you're emotional. Your team just lost in a heartbreaking fashion. I'm going to be a little emotional. I'm not going to always be in the best control of my emotions, you know? So don't come, you know what I mean? It's like you get in a fight with your wife, like, babe, give me five minutes to cool off because you don't want to have this fight right now. You don't have this argument right now. You know what I mean? Because it's not going to go, it's not going to, it's my tone's not going to be good, right? it's just stay stay in your lane right and yeah. and if if you want to if you want to storm the field then just wait till they open the gate for you and then come out mm-hmm. we'll celebrate if a yeah. team so chooses to do that
2: it's a difficult situation right because it is part of the pageantry of college football in environments like that
1: and 99.9% yeah. of the fans just want to go down there and celebrate with their team that's it with
2: their team yeah yeah right. yeah but there's always one it's just like any college party there's always one that's too drunk. Yep. That's going yep. to do something. Always one. Or too and entitled or too stupid. It. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I'm I'm very interested in hearing the um B- Jermaine Burton's account of what yeah. happened, what was said, you know, that caused him to feel like he had to move her out of his out of his way as he walked to the locker room. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, as a coach, you're you're just, like you said, Sean, you're not going to be able to to see it. And how many games did, did, LeGarrette, Plunt, did LeGarrette Blunt play that year? He, he didn't play again after that. His career was over mm-hmm. in college.
2: His yeah. career was over in college after that. Pretty much messed up his draft status. He still went yeah. on to have a decent, decent, right. a, decent NFL career. But, yep. yeah, it impacted his life.
1: Right. Right, and again, we're not saying there's there's no excuse
2: to punch a woman. I'm not saying there's first of an excuse all he did, First of all, he didn't punch her. Right, exactly. Stop. That's that's exactly. that's that's when the narrative starts taking shape. Right, he didn't punch her. Stop that. Because the way I saw her. I I saw he it explained before her. I saw the video, and I was we expecting said there's no excuse right. for putting your hands on right. anybody. None. But don't get slick with the words and use a different verb. Right. He did not punch right. the young lady. That's not what he did. Yeah.
1: Antoine brings up a good point. He says something like that, the school probably won't let him make any kind of statement because of possible legal troubles. That would be my suggestion. It's a good point because he's already been arrested for it. So he's not going to be able to speak on it anytime soon. So again, we shouldn't be in a position like that where, where a player is in a position where he has to make that choice. And this is the whole thing that we're talking about. There's yeah. a difference between excusing his actions. We've both said he shouldn't have done what he did. What well, we're and saying, though, about, is and it's
2: not about gender. Let's stop right. that, too. Right. He should have put his said, hands on anybody. As a football player, don't put your hands on any fan Right, as you walk off the field. I don't care. In if the, the other especially in is, the face. He's, he's, especially if he would have taken her,
1: put his arm on her shoulder her arm and just moved her to the side. We're not having this conversation. Exactly. Right.
2: No, so just don't not, touch her. Just don't. Right. Don't even touch her. But it
1: shouldn't even I – mean, our thing is we should not even be in a situation where that's an odd possibility, and that's
2: where yeah, we it hasn't stopped. It has nothing to do that's with it. gender. Right. As a football player, don't touch any fans. Right. Unless you feel like your life is being threatened. Then right. you have the legal right to defend yourself. That was not the case with the young lady. Right. Just walk. I don't know if I would say if
1: even for me if even if my life is being threatened if my if my if I'm being threatened with bodily harm, I'm that, skull, yeah yeah right? Right, yeah okay. Like, I mean that girl's not gonna walk up to him and kill him, right? But if she's coming at me like swinging at me or you know what I mean, like okay, what am I supposed to do, right? Yeah. Okay, first of all, one thing I would say to my players is, uh, it, when when you're about to lose a game on the road, put your helmets on. Yeah. First of all, put your helmets on. Number one, because someone can take that from you and use it as a weapon, Yeah, right, in an extreme yeah. case. So, you know, there's a but, – but, again, we a coach shouldn't have to be having that conversation with us. Hey, but guys, I know game? we just lost a football game, but here's proper etiquette to a field-storming situation. Put it's your helmets teachable. on.
2: It's a teachable moment. And I, right. I'll, I'll offer this story, Brian. I'll offer this story. My daughter was about seven years old. I grew up in the inner city on the south side. My wife grew up in the inner city on the south side. We were blessed enough to raise my daughter in the suburbs. She had none of the experiences we had growing up. At church one day, in the inner city, gets in the face of a young lady that's eight years old. She's eight years old. Nah, 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 nah. The girl swings and hits her. My daughter comes running. My wife is like, she needs to learn how to defend herself. I say, no, 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 no. That's not who she is. Mm-hmm. You didn't grow up in the inner city. She's not a fighter. I'm not teaching. That's not who she is. The first lesson, stay out of someone's face. You don't want to get hit? Stay out of their face. That's number one. And it was a teachable lesson. Mm-hmm said that young lady needs to learn a lesson too Mm -hmm. you yeah she got touched but once again if she got in his face running on the field and said something or did something it should be a teachable lesson for her too yep you run on the field go run and celebrate all that other stuff don't do that because you can't control how someone reacts right to what you do. And you that's different than justifying
1: husband. someone's actions. Absolutely. It's like, I was raised this way. I guarantee you were raised this way, right? Absolutely. Like, yes, what happened to you was bad. But Absolutely. you put yourself in that situation by going there. Yes. You know what I mean? So, you know, there's got to be some accountability for, for you as well. Oh, now, again, that goodness. doesn't justify
2: the actions of the other person. Like I said, it's a teachable right lesson for both parties and everyone involved in storming the field. As much as you feel like you might have the upper hand, it's not the best idea to run and joke with a 280-pound player that's emotional and upset. That's not a good idea. They might not react the way Jermaine Burton reacted. They might react worse than Jermaine Burton reacted. They might actually punch her in the face. Absolutely. And and there's, if I were you, I wouldn't take that chance. Right. I would just go celebrate with my team. Right.
1: The reality is, is stuff like this is why you just need to get rid of the whole practice. Just need to get rid of the whole practice. And that's the unfortunate thing is just get rid of the whole practice. And if if you, you know, it's a, it's a crime to go on the field. Just like it would be a very, very punishable offense for players to go up into the fields and get in a fan's face and taunt a fan. You know, and just just don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. So the field is not for you. Is right? The, the field is I not for that? me. The yeah. field is for the players, the coaches, yeah. and anyone they choose to allow onto the field. Yeah. Right? And a $100,000 fine to a school for that is not going to do anything. You want to hit the school a little bit? Fine them a dollars. Good joke couple million dollars it's you know what i mean a so that's the reality of it it's so sometimes sean there is no right or wrong they're both wrong and that's what this is about what we're talking about is don't put either of them in that situation especially the players right it i just love this it, era of player safety something yeah. like this is somehow not part of that conversation yeah
2: I don't think, I'll be honest. Jermaine Burton probably forgot about it, right? Because it wasn't like a grabbing and shaking or something. It was just a momentary walking by. I'm like, man, get out of my face. He made contact with her. Never in his mind did he think when he got back. I I broke the law. I broke the law. Because
1: like, what so he that? did, I mean, we I've been we've been punching and slapping hands and fighting and tackling each other to the ground for the last three hours. I'm supposed to just turn that switch off because of feelings, right? Like some of y'all, like, did you play football? You know what I mean? Like, did you play football? <laughs> don't put your hands on people. Stuff that happens on the football field is something you'd get arrested for if you did it off the football field. So you know yeah. what? You don't want to get hit in the face, stay off the damn football field. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Simple. If I yeah. throw a ball at you, if I'm pitching and you're hitting and I throw a ball at you and hit you on the hip, you get yeah. a free base. If I did that to you in real life, that's a, that's a salt. If I tackle, if I come up behind a dude and spear him and tackle him to the ground in the, in the line at Walmart, I'm going to jail. If yeah. you do it on the football field, great play. And then I'm supposed to just turn that off because some fan thought it was their right or privilege to storm the field and celebrate a victory that that you didn't earn. Yeah. So stay off the field. Simple as that. Football players, be smart. But my whole thing is he was not smart. He was not right in what he did. But he shouldn't have been put in that situation. That's my point. That's where I'm coming from.
2: Yeah. So, that's I feel. I
3: feel for.
2: <laughs> I don't. I don't like. I don't like that it happened. <laughs> I don't like that it happened to either person involved. I just don't. I don't. And I think I'm going to take a long shot here and say that some people that are adults got involved in this. And decided to make it a bigger, bigger issue than what it was.
1: Yes. Yeah. I'll yep. leave it at that.
2: Agree. The fact Agree. that there's a lawsuit and all this, it's like, man, what are we, like, what are we doing, man? Yep.
1: All right, Sean, so that is going to do it for today's show. Uh, good conversation today. I've enjoyed it very, very much. I uh, want to thank all of you for being all- with us today. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast sign up for the message boards at boards on Breakdown.com. if you're listening via podcast please give us a five-star review we would appreciate that very very much have a great rest of your day tonight we'll have mailbag with vince and sean on the ib nation sports talk show we'll be back tomorrow me and ryan roberts will be back tomorrow to begin our preview of UNLV. and as always everybody thank you so much for joining us on the irish breakdown podcast